0: a production of Dirty Mo Media. There he is! Come on in here, buddy, have a seat. Hey everybody, glad you tuned in. It's time for another episode of the Dell Junior Download. Mike Davis, Dell and Hart Jr., the Mojangle Studio. We got a great guest today. Well, how are you doing, Red? I'm doing fine right now. This They're is every like, week, okay, bro? <laughs> buckle in. Yeah. <laughs> you died on that hill. You, yeah. Your career died on that hill, and you were hard headed. You're the bigger idiot. I didn't even think about it. You no. thought about it and didn't ask That it. makes me the bigger idiot. I think so. <laughs> Hey everybody! We're back again for another episode of the Dale Junior Download. It's Wednesday. It's time for our ally guest segment um, in the Bojangle Studio with Mike Davis. Mike, we got a great guest coming on here He's definitely an ally uh, in my life at different periods. Um, Slugger Labby is going to come watch. on the show. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, Slugger, uh, everybody that you know, everybody in my circle remembers Slugger as the crew chief for Michael Waltrip. He's been been in so many different scenarios with so many different teams. Even after Michael, he had an entirely full career's worth of opportunities and and jobs that he's going to talk about. But one in particular that I wanted to touch base with him on is when he first came to work at DEI, he actually came to work for Dad's Xfinity team. And he's working on the number three Goodrich car, and I think Jeff Green's driving it. And I might have broken his toolbox. So Mm. (laughs) I'm going to bring that up, see if he remembers it. Hopefully he's not angry, and maybe he remembers, maybe he doesn't. That's interesting. All right, we'll see if he does
1: that. By the way, Slugger Labby, to me, is this – it's a generation of crew chiefs, like Fatback McSwain. They had the name, they had the look, they had the personality. And if you grew up on NASCAR in the 90s and in the early 2000s, like uh, like I did – Man, Slugger Labby's a part of that story, right? Yeah. And so it, it's so cool. He, he's in drag racing now. I know he works for Toyota, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, he he is an ally. He's yeah. an ally, and and then of course we're gonna probably talk about a little Dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt Incorporated, right? I I'm mean, sure. hard not to. Uh, he was such a such a prevalent member there. So um, man, Slugger Labby, I yeah. can't wait.
0: It's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. He's an ally. Thank you to Ally for everything they do for us here at Dirty Mo Media and everything they do in NASCAR. Ally's Big supporter of our industry and absolutely a big supporter of us here at Dirty Mo Media and the Dell Jr. download. So let's get started and bring Slugger into the room. Back there, see exactly what it is you want to learn. Right on. <laughs> Typically we don't let people wearing a Toyota shirt yeah, right? come into the Chevrolet. That's shop. my point. We yeah. should do it. Let's do it. and Get out there and work. So slugger, man. It's been a
2: long been a long time, man. I haven't seen you in a while. I uh, know I see a track every now and then, yeah. but yeah, it's been it's uh, been a while since we uh, were teammates.
0: What have you what are you doing these days?
2: So yeah, I work for TRD. I've been there six years in um, engineering manager vehicle support. So basically uh, you know, all the teams in, in series that we support. Uh, we have engineers in different divisions, and the engineers report to me, and we make sure that uh, they're using all of our tools and understanding how they work and make sure they use them properly. All
0: right. So is that, does, is that you know, focus more in any discipline than than another? You mostly stock cars steel, or
2: Yeah, so a little bit of everything. I know uh, you've
0: been... Doing all kinds of stuff.
2: Yeah, so basically my accounts are NHRA Drag Racing, which is something that we definitely need to talk about because it's it's a really good time. Uh, Arca Series, Truck Series, and I also do a lot of uh, cup testing as well. How much traveling? A lot, a lot, of a traveling. lot. But uh, you don't mind traveling when you don't wear a big target on your back. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> well, you know, as when you're a crew chief, you have this big ass target on your back, yes, sir. right? So, uh, so I get to go and uh, work with the teams, mentor them, and offer up advice and work on strategy and things like that. So yeah. it's uh, definitely a different mindset for me.
0: It is. I mean, you, you seem different. You seem like you're much more. Um, uh, less stressed out I suppose <laughs> as you know because the cup being a cup crew chief or just being in the cup garage connected so so tethered so tightly to a team uh, or an individual car driver is tough um, and I know you live that forever I know you wouldn't trade anything <laughs> any of it for for anything but um, you seem like you're you you're much happier in this new role
2: I am for sure but you know being a crew chief in any series is tough but when you're in the cup series for 20 years as a crew chief like I was it definitely is very taxing on you you work 80 to 100 hours a week and I always had the mentality Dale that if somebody else was working and I wasn't they were they're working harder than me and learning something I wasn't Mm -hmm. so I always had the mindset of just work 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 and and you know go find the next greatest
0: thing so let's talk about how you got started in racing (laughs) um I know that um you know, I know that you worked up north and lived up north, and and but what's the first first thing you remember about a race car? When's the first time you ever saw a race car?
2: Sure, my dad uh, Ray Labby, he 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 worked on Dick McCabe's race car back really, then. yeah. So the green car, yeah, the green car, like he, the
0: prettiest Bush North car I ever. I mean, so I used to look at stock car magazines and stuff like that back in right. the day, and they had a spread of his car in one of the particular issues, man, and that was the coolest looking race car um his uh it was just clean green right um and so there there was a lot of pride in i guess craftsmanship and your dad had something to do with that
2: he was yeah he was a weekend warrior so basically my dad would get home every night at five o'clock from his normal job and he would eat dinner take a shower and go work on the race car till midnight and that's just the way it was what was and his that, normal job uh he was uh at a dealership he was a service manager oh yeah. So I always wondered where my dad was like growing up. Me and my sister were like, well, where's dad at? You know, yeah. he was always gone racing or working or, or whatever it may be. So when I was young, I really was not a fan of racing huh? because it took yeah. my dad away from me. You, yeah. you know, what I'm talking oh, about, yeah. Yeah. so, um, I guess it goes back to 1983 or 84. My dad took me to a race, Which uh, one? uh it was in Thunder Road in Barry, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dick McCabe actually won the race.
0: So you and got to experience the top of the top right out of the gate.
2: thought it was easy. First race, they win the race, get to go take a bunch of pictures, wear hats, and drink some beer. I didn't drink beer, yeah. but they were. So I thought it was cool, and then that's kind of when I got the bug. And then, uh, you know, I was still in high school. I was a freshman when I went to my first race. And then uh, in 1985, I started working on uh, Kelly Moore's race car. Kelly Moore was a, a great Northeast yeah. racer. Um,
0: His son's still racing today.
2: That's right. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, just... My dad asked Kelly if he would mentor me, train me, because I didn't, Dale, I didn't know what a half inch wrench was back Where then. Where was
0: your dad working at this particular point? Still uh, with me? St- yes, yeah, still same why place. Could, why didn't he want you to go over there?
2: I think he just wanted me to go learn because Separate something different. Yeah, just okay. you know, because sometimes we don't always listen to our, our dads, right? So, so tell so. me,
0: so tell me about the 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 northeastern NASCAR stock car group. It seems to me, and and I've kind of, I kind of, I don't know it well at all, but. The little bit that I've been around it, it seems like that the, there's a very, even though they're very, very competitive and race the shit out of each other on the racetrack, there's a there's a there's a very close family atmosphere among the teams from 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 team to team.
2: Certainly, because back then there was nobody full time right It's mm-hmm. everybody working at night and volunteers and you know you didn't fly on airplanes and and you drove you were you were part of the team, so it was yeah. definitely a lot of effort and a lot of commitment so uh, if somebody got in trouble and uh, got in a wreck and you know' cause sometimes they had double header events and mm-hmm. people would always you know share and help and and get get to the racetrack so yeah. definitely different mindset because all they did was work, yeah. you know it's a lot different than what it is here, yeah, so.
0: less competitive in terms of hey man, I'm not you know i if your son comes over here, I don't want him learning this and taking it over there. There was right. none of that, you know?
2: Yeah, so Kelly just took me under his wing, and like I said, I didn't know what a half-inch wrench was, and he just showed me. You, you really know, had no clue what? None. I just knew he, that, hey, I went to victory lane with my dad, and I want to do this. So I yeah. uh, still in high school. I was missing out on a lot of uh, high school activities, right, the football games and going to parties and all those things, but I was working on racing because.
0: Did you care? Like I didn't get to go. I didn't go to prom or none of that stuff, but yeah. I didn't care. I wasn't going to go either way.
2: Well, I was right in that age. Like I said, I started when I was a sophomore or yeah. junior. So, so I was you, kinda, had, you had a girlfriend, yeah. you had all
0: that going on. And were you an athlete in school? No. Do well, I look like an athlete? I don't know. <laughs> I could mean, have been. Yeah. So. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Okay. So you, you had your circle of friends. Did you ever tell them to, you know, get them to come out to the races and see why you liked it?
2: They never did when I was in the Northeast. But when I moved away to North Carolina and finally got a name for myself, they started following all me. All your into, high school friends? Yeah. You still. Yeah, we still talk a lot, oh, okay. and yeah, we have a group text. We all talk. That's and cool. Yeah, so they come around every now and then. Uh, we're actually going to New Hampshire next weekend for drag racing, and there's a big uh, group of people coming for that. Damn, that's so, cool. But, yeah, but getting back to Kelly. So he he was very patient with me, showed me the – Kelly was a real meticulous person and paid attention to detail, and that's kind of where I learned, like, man, every everything should be critiqued and worked on, and, and Kelly pointed me in that direction. So for, for, you know, three or four years, Kelly was the guy that uh, mentored me to understand how to to work on race cars and and how they worked. Yeah. And um it's weird. So we had run some combination races uh with Kelly over the years and I think it was uh in 86. 86- 87 we started doing north south combination races so the
0: bush north and the bush south. yeah you remember yep.
2: those days and uh we'd run daytona and some other races uh nazareth i think your dad actually drove one of kelly's cars at nazareth at, i believe uh, so and that's when he got on the jack Tant engine program mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember all that but yeah
0: i remember jack Tant motors right yeah yep. so
2: that come from your dad driving kelly's car at nazareth he liked the motor he did yeah, yeah he did so <laughs> yeah but that's another story we can talk about later but uh (laughs) but i'd become friends with the houston's uh when we had run these combination races um and it was just uh
0: i was starting to make friends um and just
2: who out of the
0: group like tommy marty um and who was the first one that talked to you
2: uh, more so scott yeah scott yeah scott and i have uh, become friends and we texted quite a bit or, or talked quite a bit on the phone and uh it was weird so the The Southern cars came to Oxford, Maine to run the Oxford 250. It was a combination race. And just before the race started, I'd asked Scott, I said, hey, man, I need to send something back to North Carolina with you. And he goes, what is it? And I said, me. (laughs) He goes, what the hell do you mean? I said, I'm ready to get out of Maine, and I'm ready to move south. Had you made this –
0: decision before you got there that you was going to tell him this no
2: not at all just the the, the vibe of the, <laughs> the all, heat of the moment yeah just the atmosphere of oxford right all these yeah. cars there racing around all the yeah. you know the butch lindleys and all those people all the greats that were there and yeah. I was like, man, I just, I wonder if they'll do this. And I finally had the balls to walk up to him and ask him. And he's like, sure, let's do it, you know. So that's how it all started for me. So, so how quick How quick were you on the road now moving south? Seven hours later. Damn. Yeah, I went home, woke up my mother, and I said, hey, Mom, I'm moving in the morning. And she goes, what do you mean you're moving? I said, I'm going to North Carolina. Went upstairs, <clears> packed a suitcase, and had $1,000 cash, and away I went.
0: Where'd you get the money?
2: Uh, I had it in my room. You saved
0: it. Yeah. And so you... Do you know that you've got this, you know, you've got a place to stay? Nothing. Where are you driving to?
2: I, nowhere. Just all I know, I was wait, going wait, wait, to then. Newton, North Carolina. Well, that no, was it. All
0: right. So you know you're, you're driving to Newton to the Houston. Right. So you knew that. Yep. And you were going to work with them. I had no you clue. You didn't know that.
2: No clue. I just asked for a ride, and I said, I'm, when I get there, I'm going to figure it out.
0: So you didn't ask and for I a job. You nope. just said, I need a lift. I need a ride. And so you ri- Did you ride with them?
2: Yeah, we did. Rode in the holler all, all the way, way back. Home. And, and yep. what
0: in the on the way on the way down there? Are you yeah. like trying to figure out ways to work in your um, sales pitch of hey man, <laughs> what kind of you know y'all need some help or?
2: We just had a good time, you know, because it was a toter home type thing, yep. and you know me, Marty, Andy, Scott were all piled up in this thing. And um, where's Tommy? Uh, he's behind us in the van. Okay. And uh, Marty, we're about halfway. I guess we're in Virginia, and Marty goes, "Hey Yankee, what are you going to do for a job?" And I'm like. Hell, I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. So, yeah. one thing or another. We backed up to the shop, and I started helping them unload the car, and then just started working away. And here we are.
0: So wait, <laughs> it's yeah, confusing. so you did you end up working with Tommy in there? I did.
2: Yes. Yeah. So basically, um, the first day there, Marty, um, Martha, and Tommy were a little bit behind us in the van. And when they got there, we were all working. And Martha goes, "Where are you going to stay?" And I said, "Well, I don't know, Martha." I said, "I'm, I'm just, I want a chance." And she said well you can stay in the house with us yeah so i ended up i moved in with tommy and martha stayed in the basement uh and then i started working on the cars uh every day and we went our first race was volusia county and that the next weekend was a volusia county we won the race and i'm thinking man this is pretty easy i won my first north race Won my first southern yeah. race is pretty cool but uh again the houston's uh they were unsponsored at the time it was um uh, southern biscuit on the side of it which somewhat sponsorship yeah. And then they ended up getting Rose's department stores, yeah. and then they put me on full-time. Uh, so were
1: you getting paid? There's no way they're paying you no, at huh? first. No, Nope. But they did give you a place to stay. They did, yeah. How long did you go not getting paid?
2: Oh, I don't know. They probably got Rose's probably three months later. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's, so I, I stretched $1,000 pretty hard. I yeah. want to
0: know how Tommy and them afforded to race, because even back then— they, I, I, I believe they would have been able to afford to race. I mean, right. But how did they race so well on such a tight budget?
2: They had a tight budget. You know, Steve Arnt and um, his brother Brevard with uh, uh, Southern Biscuit, they they paid a lot of the bills. But Tommy just, um, you know, they didn't have they didn't have a lot. They just took care of what they did, and they had a couple race cars, and they just made it work. And yeah. I don't know how anybody survived in racing with the V six era. You know, all the motors that were blowing up and all that back in the day. Yeah. That was certainly it was a tough time, but. Uh, Yeah, they were really. They watched what they did, and they spent the money on the right things. But uh, at the end of the day, they were a really competitive race team that did really, really well.
0: Is Andy um, or Marty racing their late model at Hickory at all during this period of time?
2: Andy was just starting his late model. Just Uh, starting. Yeah, and then Marty, Marty was like a year behind him. So they
0: was the late model sitting over in the garage floor, and yeah.
2: Yeah, it was like uh, like you right when everyone else was done working on the race car during the day, you went working that at night. Bet that was fun. Yeah, so. Kind of uh, same thing as you, but just different yeah. different family.
1: Get, what's the quick uh, the quick description of the Houston racing family? Because I know of them, I know so nothing Tommy, about them.
0: Tommy right. is Hal's brother. Right. Hal is Teresa's dad, so Tommy would have been Teresa's uncle. Got it. Okay. All right. And so um, we would go to the Houston family reunions, and Tommy and yeah. and Andy and all of them would come, and it was a blast. Andy right. was I I love Andy. Yeah. I mean, such a great dude. They're all passionate. Uh, yeah, just and they're genuinely yeah. nice people. Yeah. And um of course Marty, I didn't know Scott well at all, but uh what I know of Tommy and he's an awesome dude and Tommy, <clears throat> there's little moments where Dad and Tommy you know would would race each other a lot in Metro in the 70s sure. and stuff and so I know Dad had a lot of respect for Tommy and I think that's in how he met Hal Teresa and all that but um so while this is happening, this is 90 what?
2: oh uh, this is 89. 89. Yep. So,
0: dad is married to Teresa. Right. Right. Do you ever see dad come cruising through?
2: Never, never once. Not once. Never once. Yeah. I see him talk at the racetrack, but never, he never came he by. he come the show. by you know, and yeah.
0: BS with Tommy and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, you worked at the Houstons for a while. You kind of went through a couple other Xfinity teams. You worked um, with Bob Labonte and, and, and Bob. Right. Um, you worked with um, Kenny, Kenny Wallace. Kenny Wallace for yes, a time with Birdie. So, Birdie is. Um, <laughs> he's I do not I don't, I don't know the guy. Like I've seen him at the racetrack a little bit when we were racing in the Xfinity series. And I remember seeing him around, but he's got, he's this sort of, um, he was like the crew chief in the Xfinity series, like won everything, won a bunch of championships, right. always had the fast car. Um, always seemed to be the guy that was week in week out tough, but he also had a reputation as, um, funny and having a good time. And, and so it just helped me understand who he is. Like,
2: yeah, he was definitely a guy that you're supposed to be there at seven o'clock. You're asked better be there, right? And okay. you worked hard from seven to five, and then when five o'clock come, the, the cooler was open, and okay. we're all drinking beer, having fun. So he was one of us, uh, much like Tony Senior, right? He just right there beside you, working, having a good time. But Brody was really, really passionate. Uh, he knew a lot about the three-link rear suspension, where a lot of people didn't at the mm-hmm. time, and he, and he really came in, and that was his uh, claim to fame was was all that. But but, I man Birdie would party with you and yeah. uh, have have a good time, but he was definitely uh, definitely a guy that I learned a lot from along, you know, with other crew chiefs that I work with.
0: Back then, um, when the when the clock struck four or five o'clock, everyone partied like the beer. Like at, that's how it was at the right. Deerhead Shop, which you would right. you would come to know well. Like as soon as it was five o'clock, the work it was serious. Have your sh- Together. Yep. But in that moment when it went five o'clock, here come the liquor bottle and all the beer coming out, right? And everybody's drinking beer and riding around in the back that was, of the That was one of
2: the sales pitches that Tony Sr. put on me. He said, Man, every Tuesday night over here at the Deerhead shop we have chicken wing night, and David Lippard would cook chicken yep. wings and everybody would hang out every night. And he said, uh, you should come enjoy some of that atmosphere. So, how did
1: we get away from this? This sounds <laughs> right. amazing. Yeah. It was. I bet yeah. we wouldn't have such a, a hard time finding employees if we had, <laughs> we had a party here. Beer at five every o'clock Tuesday night. and
2: chicken wing night on Tuesday. But, you know, it's like that now in the drag racing series. Is it? Yeah. So as soon as you're done qualifying, that's what everyone does. They break out the liquor bottles and the beers and start having a good time. So it's definitely NHRA today is like NASCAR, what it was in uh, the early 90s, 2000s. That's interesting. You would know. So
0: (laughs) you went to – when did you end up at DEI? You You came to DEI. Not to the cup deal, as people would know you right. as a crew chief for Michael Watcher, but you came to DEI for a short spell to work on the Xfinity program, and I think maybe David Green was driving it at the time? Jeff Green. Jeff Green, yeah, I'm sorry, It was, it was 91,
2: yeah. yeah. So they hired me in 90, um, and, and 1991 is when, uh, when Jeff drove full-time. They so. hired
0: you in 90. That's right. Dad was still driving the car. That's right. And then Jeff is the first full-time, you're going full-time race. Right. So they hired you and said, hey, man, yep. we're going full-time. Right. And so – I remember when you came. I remember the very first day that you came there. Now, I don't remember like particular moments, but I remember so forever it had been Rick Boss, Tony Sr., Tony Jr. Right. And that was it. And, then and bugs. bugs. Give, give right. Bugs. Sweeping the floors and carrying on <laughs> bugs, cleaning up. We, um, uh, you're like the one of the first, if not the first, mm-hmm. you know, outside hire. Right. Um, and so I was like, "Oh man, they're, just, they're getting serious. This is a this is a legit right. race team now, <laughs> it's right. an enterprise. Yeah, <laughs> they're really going after this." And so um, you brought your toolbox, like a mechanic, like we're moving from dealership to dealership, right? right? When you get hired, you take you take your toolbox out of that bay and you take it down the street yep. to the other dealership, and that's you roll it in, mm-hmm. and. I think I was trying to get something out of your toolbox. I don't remember why, but I was looking for something, and I broke the drawer. Do you remember this?
2: You're the one. Yeah. Nobody Ah. (laughs) nobody fessed up to me. I did it. It was you. Yeah. I'm going to send you an invoice. Do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. Yeah, I thought Tony Jr. did it. No, it was me. Okay, well, yeah. What, See, what is-
0: I don't know why. Yeah. I, what thirty I, years later like, here we I are. I need to get this off my chest. So that's cool. Yeah, I don't know what <laughs> I, I was- still have that toolbox. <laughs> do you? Yeah, is I it do. still broke?
2: No, I fixed you it. You fix it yeah. Good.
0: I don't remember what broke or how it broke, but it's something about the drawer, the locking system yep. in the drawer with the lid yep. up or down, right? And I was prob- I just fixed it this winter. No, <laughs> I got the parts. I'm going to give you the broken part. <laughs> If you wanted to break again, yep. just uh, let Dillinger yep. lo-
2: yep. uh, borrow something from it. Him. Was a Snap-on toolbox, and it was the top lid, and it had a little lever you had to pick up yep. to close it. And Bull Moose over here obviously didn't yeah. uh, understand how it all worked. Oh, no. so
1: you're talking, <laughs> you're talking about that little brace at the at the end. So now it wouldn't
2: <laughs> wouldn't close all the it way. It wouldn't close. Yep. yep. Sorry, I didn't know it was you, dude. It was me. Well, yeah. how did you do that? I
0: don't know. I was over. F- I, I,
2: he was checking. It was someone's had a new toolbox. No one's ever brought a yeah. toolbox to DEI
0: except me. So, yeah. I recognized quickly that it was not any of right? And I'm like, and then it, and, yeah, I, and I, broke it and I was like, Oh, I think I was trying to close it or something. Yeah. And I, don't know. I just
2: fixed that this, this one. I swear it's to crazy. God. Yep. I'll take yeah, a picture of it. It was me. You, you, this
0: I is felt. So
1: funny. Hey, you know you what? You guys would be teammates for years mm-hmm. at Dell and Hart Incorporated. And you never said a thing never about ever. this toolbox until now. I
2: accused Tony Jr. Like, yeah, Well, he can, he can be. He probably knew, now. but never would tell you. <laughs> Dang. So, um, but good times, man. Well,
0: look, I didn't know I didn't know <laughs> Slugger, and I didn't know how he would react. Like, this guy's going to go, he don't give a damn who I am, right? He yeah. might chew my ass off. And I knew I, if I broke Tony Senior's shit, I knew what I was going to get. And I'm like, you know what? I can avoid this ass chewing.
2: <laughs> yeah. And just pretend like nothing happened. It's the new guy. Yeah. Oh. Name Slugger, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. want to break
0: yeah, right. Slugger's toolbox. Yeah, uh-huh. I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yes, right. Yeah. This guy's name is Slugger, right? right? What the yeah. hell? I'm gonna scoot on out of this <laughs> shop before gonna, anybody notices. I'm not gonna go tell Slugger I broke. <laughs> <Right. his> <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. So, how long did you work there? It was I, brief.
2: I, I worked there for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. God, YouTube. it felt like yeah. six months. was because you never went back into the shop after <laughs> <I yeah. probably. laughs> No, it might have been just over a year. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: And so, what was your um? What's your memories of that particular uh, experience? You know, I, I bet it's hard to, I bet it's hard to compartmentalize the two because you know you did come back to Di for a very long period of time, right. that has to be yeah. saturating your memory. But yeah. being part of that little Xfinity team when trying to get you know trying to get that going full time,
2: it was it was a neat experience for me because just you know one to work for your dad, and two, to work in a shop that yeah. was, had deer head and animals all over the place. It was crazy, crazy environment. But uh, I'll never forget, the parts room was upstairs, and Tony Sr. told me to go upstairs and go to the top of the stairs and get this off the shelf up there. So I had walked upstairs, and I was just in awe. It's like my second or third day there. And I got to the top of the stairs, and I took a left, and I didn't know where the hell it was. I wasn't in the parts room, and I found this duffel bag on the floor, yeah. and it was full of cash. <laughs> So I went downstairs and I told Tony Schiesser. I said, "Man, I couldn't find that part you were telling me about." But I said, "There's a duffel bag full of cash." He goes, "You dumb son of a bitch. I told you to take a right. Yeah. He said, "That's where Dale's, Dale Dale's senior stuff's at." So anyway, he had a bunch of money. Wandered into Dede's. Yeah, 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 I was in the wrong area. I was like, S- I'm surprised I didn't get shot. But uh, yeah. but no, it was definitely a, a great experience working with the Urie's. You know, we drove in the vans yes. to all the racetracks, had a good time, and that's some something that I think we miss. In today's world, is that environment of, of just the bonding of riding in the vans?
0: Yeah, driving to all of the racetracks, right. Dover, everywhere. Talladega, 15 Daytona, yeah. were you there the year that me and Kerry went to Atlanta with y'all? Were you part of that deal? We had. No, a, I don't think so. Yeah, we had a we got in a. We had a great time in the Atlanta, um, in the hotel bar. Oh no. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> when and you you know this, so so maybe you you, you can confirm. Back then, not only did you ride in a fifteen-passenger van to the racetrack. When you got to the hotel on Thursday or whatever, you went in, put your bag in the floor of the lobby, mm-hmm. checked in, got your room key, and walked straight into the bar. That's right. You didn't even take your bag upstairs. I've seen them do <laughs> this, and I'm like, y'all aren't going to take your bag to your room? <laughs> nope. We'll get it after. We'll get it later. And I'm like, okay. And they go into the. Me and Carrie, we run our bag up to the room. We come back downstairs, and they're on the damn gas in this bar until midnight. And they come out, grab their bags, and go upstairs then. Like, they weren't even – they were such a –
2: But back then, we didn't have a per diem; we had a credit card. We had Dale Sr.'s credit card, so we just let it rip, and
0: it was definitely Uh, a good time. Just find
1: that hard to believe he'd let y'all just do that. But, again, I think that's – he's cut out of that.
0: Tony Sr. had some some pull. Yeah, 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 right, right. So
1: are we talking about Tony Sr., Tony Jr., but – is bug? I mean, like whoever yeah. bugs, is this bugs the team? shop for yeah. shop for him and okay. he's not he kept the shop clean. Yeah, right, right, right. He
0: didn't yep. But right. you know
2: what? What I remember the most about working for your dad back then was like when you went to work every day, you didn't know if you're going to work on a race car, if you're going to be out in the farm yeah. building a fence, <laughs> trapping <laughs> deer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you never knew what you were going to do. Yeah, and your dad is actually the first guy that taught me to weld without a welding helmet because I would <laughs> we'd out there be I was building a fence with him out out in the pasture and i'd always put my helmet on he said you're wasting damn time putting your helmet on so he would he taught me how to hold the helmet away from my head and weld so it's crazy thing yeah but some of the stuff you remember just hold
0: just look through the helmet. yeah
2: look through the glass (laughs) and not not take the time to put the helmet on your head so it's just silly stuff (laughs)
1: okay okay, then give us an idea when you when you work out of the deer head shop you show up in the morning at what time seven okay so and where are you living at that point uh i live 10 minutes away so you show up. Is Dale in there to greet you guys? I were like,
2: who's in there when you get there? Uh, just normal guys working on the cars. So then would yeah. Dale just drop in and? What are you doing? I'm, not, I'm just working on this. Well, come with me. I need you to do this. And ah. you go out and work on the farm and, and do whatever. One time they brought, a, yeah. on a Saturday, they brought a whole horse trailer full of deers uh, that we had to, uh, they were tranquilized. And we had to drag them out in the pasture and they would shoot them back with something to bring them back.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah, you never heard that? No, nah, yeah, I so never saw that.
2: Yeah, so I guess he had got some deer from yeah, po- Pocono yeah. or something like that, and they came big, in on a horse trailer. Bucks. Yeah, so we would drag them out, put them on the ground, and they would give them some kind of shot or something to reverse the tranquilizer. Fire them up. And they would, like, fall over on their feet because their feet weren't working. Yeah, I mean, just normal s*** <laughs> sh- <a DI>. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it was crazy. Yeah. Like, t- Tony Sr. will tell you a better story than me, but, yeah, it was. That's a good one. You just never knew every day, Mike, what was it? What's going to happen today? Then I couldn't wait to get home and tell my wife, like, man, we did this today. You can't believe this. But, I mean, it was was an honor to work for your dad. It really was.
0: I agree, man. It was fun to to be around because you're right. You never knew what was going to happen.
1: And can we just appreciate the fact that – I mean, the most Dale Earnhardt awesome story ever. Add one to the list. There's just a duffel bag full of cash in a hallway yeah. that you just... I, mean, and I got you know, yelled at. Much, yeah. Yeah, of course you got yelled at, but it's just, man, yeah, I mean, I I'm that. just... Yep. I'm just... We got to stop and
0: appreciate oh, this. Yeah.
2: It's, a, it's a moment. Man, we used to go up in the trees with nets, and the deer would come by, and we'd drop the net on the deer. I mean, dude, I, it was like all kind of crazy shit we did work I remember that. Yeah, you do? Yeah, they yeah. You
0: had the firing caps. Yep. The, out in the field, they had this <laughs> giant net on these poles, yep. and it had these firing caps at the end and blasting caps. And so... Um, they would put some. They would put something like corn or whatever to get the deer to come under there. And Dad had particular bucks that he wanted to tag, right. so that he, you know, he was managing his deer herd on his property. And uh, he, um, you know, they we would sit. At, we would sit, you know. 300, 400 yards away, and they'd have spotting scopes, and right. all you know, all those guys are like drinking beer, and like, oh, look at there! Like, here comes, <laughs> oh, here comes that buck I wanted to catch! Here yeah. he comes, and they oh yeah, right to the corn, hit the yeah. button, blasting caps. <laughs> the blasting caps yeah. go off, and the net falls on top of the deer, and they go hauling ass over there, <laughs> <laughs> and they climb on top of these deer. Yeah. The deer are fine; they're they just, but they're in their yeah. net, and they would tag it, and then they're like, all right, man, we're gonna peel this net right. back. Everybody get ready because <laughs> that's something you don't know what the damn right. deer was going to do he comes running yeah. out from under there he's going he's hauling yeah. ass but yeah. you didn't know if he's going to turn and haul this sounds like yeah. an
1: amazing day at work why do you leave I got and, paid to do it I, I mean, couldn't you believe it to do it I somebody's know. listening to this right now I going know. I am going to try this <laughs> net thing, thing.
2: Yeah. yeah no it was cool I honestly do not remember Dale why I left I don't I remember I, I went to work the next question yep so I, I went to work for Terry Labani on his uh, part-time MW Windows Grand National team but I, I. That was your next job? It was, yeah. And I do not remember why I left. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't. I do not remember. Probably because you thought they broke your damn toolbox and didn't kill well,
2: you. Well, no. <laughs> I, I, dude, I made a lot of mistakes in my yeah. career. And I, I never, like, I jumped around from team to team, you know, from from working for your dad or the Bonnies or Hendrick Motorsports or Robert Yates. I just, man, I, looking back, it's real easy to critique yourself, but I jumped around too much in my career. And, and probably I'd still be at Hendrick Motorsports today if I kept my shit straight, but I never, you know, I just got offered another opportunity, and I went. So I just – I don't know. I, I made a lot of mistakes, but one of them was leaving your dad's place in 1992.
0: So how do you – I mean, are you – you're going from these teams. Um Are you, like, looking at the cup garage going, that's my goal? I want to get there.
2: Because when I grew up in Maine, right, so we'd always worked. November, December, getting cars ready all the time, and I remember the Daytona 500 was on. I was working for Kelly Moritz in February, and we're working on the race car. And I'm looking out outside, and and knowing that they're racing in Daytona, and it's snowing, it's a blizzard right And I'm like, what? I got to get the hell out of here, you yeah. know. So one thing led to another, but of course, everyone's dream is to go to the Cup Series, and and that was mine as well. And you know, I worked for Terry Labonte on his MW Windows car, and we had won a bunch of races. And you know, Bob was still building gears. And transmissions for Junior Johnson, so Bob kind of like let me run the team, yeah. So but had a lot of a lot more responsibility, maybe that's why I left, I don't remember. But, um, but just working for Bob was tough. I mean, keep in mind, I came from Scott Houston, Steve Bird, um, Tony Sr. I mean, I had some really, really smart people that were very strict too, right? And then I went to Bob Labonte, like, holy, shit, this is like culture shock because I mean, he was. There was days where he was downright mean, and yeah. he he didn't care who it was. But I mean, he was there to win win races, and you better not make a mistake. So definitely learned a lot from Bob. I heard
0: so many stories about him N- not stories, but I'd heard the same comments about Bob. How he was just he was stern, right. and and strict. It was Bob's way, yeah. And so, you know, like I know that you know what what are some examples of? of I mean, he he sounds intimidating. I thought Tony senior was terrifying at times, yeah. you know, but I'm, you know, you had a, you had a different relationship with Tony senior being a little bit older and so forth. Right. He scared the shit out of me. I didn't know whether he was coming over to chew my ass or what. Right. And, um, <clears throat> Bob was Bob funny sounds similar.
2: Every time this is, this is, you could talk to anybody that worked for Bob. Like anytime we get ready to go in the van to drive to a racetrack, <clears throat> I would always drive or David McGee, he would always drive one of us. But Whenever Bob got in the passenger seat, no one dared sit in the passenger seat because that's where Bob sat. But when Bob got in, if he crossed his legs and looked to the to his right to out the window, we knew we were screwed, like he was pissed about something and it was going to be a miserable ride. And if he got in and crossed his legs to the left and looked left, <laughs> it was going to be a damn good time, right? And, th- and that's how you structured your trip of by the first 30 seconds of how Bob sat in that seat, damn. But uh, you know. Keep in mind, Bob was getting older, right, and he had two kids that were racing. He was working every day at Junior Johnson's and coming back to our place, and if we didn't have things done to his level or or to the point where he thought they should be, I mean, he was vocal, and he would would get after you. But he he had one rule that a lot of people had a hard time understanding, and I did as well. But, you know, you build a new car or work on a race car, and you set your wrench on the floorboard or you set it on the dash or you set it on the roof of the car while you're working on it, well, that would piss Bob off. And he, he always had a mentality of, well, Terry and Bob, Bobby paid for brand new cars, and why would you want to disrespect them by putting your tools and scratching the paint or whatever? So if you didn't listen, like he warned you a couple times, and, and if you didn't listen over the course of the day, he would take your tools, and he would take them and go set them on the roof of your car out in the parking lot. Mm. And that was just his Bob's way of like, hey, look, I told you once, you didn't understand or you didn't listen, so you and during the day you're trying to find a seven sixteenths wrench you couldn't find and you thought someone stole it right and you find out at seven o'clock at night when you leave it's laying on the roof of your truck because yeah. that's just the way bob way you know bob's way so little so, little stuff like that meant a lot
0: so what what's uh how do you get the opportunity to go cup racing
2: yeah so like i said things were going really really well at, at labanis and we're having a good time terry was winning a bunch of races that year i think we won four or five races that year and uh Gary Dehart and Andy, De- uh, Andy Graves called me and, and gave me an opportunity to come to Hendrick Motorsports, and I accepted the position. Is
0: Terry driving for them? Yeah, Terry's
2: driving. It's his second, going on his second year. Yeah, um, and I remember telling Terry and Bob that I was leaving to go to Hendrick Motorsports. And What's they, your position at Hendrick? That uh, you're taking a t- a tire person, tire specialist. Tire specialist yep. on what car? Uh, on Terry's car. Yep. yep. The so
0: you're like, hey Terry, guess what?
2: I thought it was a win-win, right? <laughs> but I was grossly mistaken. I mean, they were pissed. Really? Even Terry? Terry and Bob were both pissed that I was leaving their organization.
0: Was it at the end of the year, middle of the year?
2: End of the year. Yeah. Yep. And uh, they were they were mad that I was leaving to you know because things were going I really can't really see well. See Terry mad? Yeah. I, in Terry's way, he was pissed. Yeah. Well, right? I
1: can't see yeah. either Labani kid. I mean, like y'all are describing this is Bob. Bob. You're describing yeah. Bob, and it's like wow. the— Kids seem so chill, but I guess you've seen gears in them. They probably have moments, right? Yeah,
2: we all see a lot behind different doors, right? Yeah. So, uh, but definitely they were they were mad at me, and um, you know, ended up going to Hendrick Motorsports, you know, because I wanted to get to the Cup Series, and it was a great opportunity. Terry was winning races with them, and I mean, who who the hell doesn't want to work for Rick, right? So, it was a great opportunity, and I took that position.
0: Did you smooth things over with Terry?
2: It took a while, but uh, you know, there was times where. You know, we won races together, won championships. But you could always tell that he always had that chip on his shoulder. At least I felt he did. He never, after that, when I left, he never really told me that he was, you know, still had hard feelings, but I just never felt as comfortable as I did with him when we were winning races in the Xfinity Series. Yeah. Good heavens. Y'all ended up
1: winning a championship, though.
2: We did, yeah. In 96, we won a championship, you know, and that was a hell of a team that we had. You know, Richie Gilmore, Andy Graves, myself, uh, Bummy, who works here. Um, we had one hell of a team. that We worked hard, partied hard. We drank all that beer that we talked about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. We were definitely misfits at Hendrick
1: Motorsports. We learned something uh, about you. I didn't know you were related to Bummy through marriage. Like, uh, he's your brother-in-law?
2: He is, yeah. So uh, And
1: we're talking about Mike Bumgarner, who uh, has been at Junior
2: Motorsports yeah. for a right. long time. Yeah, so Bummy, uh, in 95 or 96, we needed a tire person. I was moving up a little bit, so we needed a tire person. So we convinced Mike, who I think it was at Bernstein's working, uh, to come work for us. And keep in mind, Mike, he was one of these people. He's, he's kind of quiet now. But yeah. back then when we got him, like he didn't say boo, he didn't cuss, he didn't smoke, he didn't drink. And after a year with us, he was dropping F-bombs and saying shit, smoking sure. cigarettes and drinking beer. You yeah. know yeah. I mean, we definitely, <laughs> uh, we definitely corrupted him in, in the right way. But um, gave him a blind date, set him up on a blind date with my sister-in-law and uh the first the first time he never showed up he got scared and showed up and said oh she's too good for me and then uh the second time they he finally showed up and um yeah bummy has been been in the family ever since so good dude he uh he lives literally a half mile from me yeah and we drink beer a lot but we hardly ever talk about motorsports that's interesting yeah we try to like that that line you know because racing will consume you if you let it right and there's times where you just need to let loose and have a good time. And um, and our relationship with Mike is, and myself is is really genuine, and we talk a lot about family stuff more so than racing. So
0: um, why did you – if you're doing – what happens at Hendrick if everything's going so well?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we were winning races, winning championships, and uh, Andy, had, Andy had left. I think he went to go work on the 25 car, I think, Andy Graves. Mm-hmm. And um, Gary and myself just – we didn't get along. I mean, Andy was the glue that kept the team together. The Gary Dehart. Yeah, Gary Dehart. Uh, Andy was the the glue that kept that team together. Um, at least we all thought that. And then when uh, when when Andy left to go do the twenty five car, I think that's where he went. Um, I don't know. Gary and I never hit it off. I was the car chief, and for some reason, um, they pulled me in the office one day, and uh, I'll never forget it. I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, Gary DeHart's sitting there. Mike Powell, who was the parts man, uh, and they drug me in there. And Gary said, "I don't need you no more." The parts man. The parts man. Why the parts man? Right. I just someone to watch, I guess. You yeah. know, a witness. I, oh my parts
1: man slash yeah. HR or something. That's you know, <laughs> like, yeah, wow.
2: was weird. No yeah, man. I had to witness. But uh, yeah, Gary said, "Man, I don't need you no more." And and I didn't know why, you know, and.
0: That yeah. had to have been pretty damn tough. It
2: was, you know, because we had just won a championship, and then next year later things are going good, Run went to Daytona, run good. And then uh, halfway during the season, you know, Gary just – I never asked Gary why. Um, yeah, I, I saw you him still at, have it. You know, I see Gary at the banquet and, you know, uh, d- different things. Gary's doing some uh, antiquing and things like that, and mm-hmm. I see him and we talk just like we are now, but just uh, I, never just
1: – I'm yeah. more curious about what Terry's response was to that. I mean, because yeah. I mean, you said that you guys were never really mm-hmm. the same – but it took a while. I'm assuming a championship heals all wounds? You would think
2: so. Okay. Yeah.
1: Did t- did you and Terry have a conversation? No,
2: never did, really. just out, I was just out, you know, and it's just like, well, you know, I was appreciative for the opportunity they gave me. And, uh, you know, a young kid from Maine just won a championship. How can I you know, and yeah. uh, gave me a good opportunity, and I just made the best of it. But, you know, after that happened, like, I was like, what yeah. am I going to do now?
0: You walked out of the door at Hendrick Motorsports, and you're standing there in a – you'd pulled in that morning, mm-hmm. wanted – Employed, going back to your job that you went to every day, and you walked out of that building to get in your truck and knew that you weren't going to come back. Right. Who did you call? Where where was your where? I mean, I imagine you didn't have like an answer, you didn't have a solution right away, but what was the what were your first steps to sort of figure out what you were going to do?
2: Yeah, it didn't take long for news to spread, and Todd Parrott called me. Um, Really? Yeah, and I went to work for Robert Yates, you know. Right, right after that. Yeah, it wasn't long after that. So, um,
0: what did they hire you for?
2: Uh, car chief. For Uh, which one? I was on the 88. Dale Jarrett? Yeah, with Dale Jarrett. So, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I I worked for Robert three different times. So, like I said, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life Uh, when it comes to career choices. I was uh, very very easily peer pressured. Like, hey, come work for me. And where I should have been more loyal, um, I just never, never really, um, at that time, wasn't a very loyal person. And when I got to Hendrick, I thought, like, this is it, man. This is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. And and uh, maybe some things I said, I, I don't, like I said, yeah. it just, it didn't end right.
0: There was a year, though, in 97, you worked with David Blair Motorsports, which was a team, it was like a satellite Yates yep. team, I'm assuming. It was. And they had um, Rick Wilson driving a car and Kenny Irwin. Yeah,
2: so basically with Robert, we did the, the associate deal with uh, David Blair Motorsports where we prepared Kenny uh, cars for Kenny Irwin Jr., and I was the crew chief. So yeah. we had uh, five races. He was sponsored by Tonka Toys. I remember and, that car. Yeah, it was pretty so cool. So
0: Kenny was getting this sort of, I get sent over by dad to go over to Charlotte Motor Speedway and do the fast track driving school, um, and Andy Hillenberg had that school, and I'm there and uh, Kenny Irwin's there, <clears throat> we're there together, and we're going right. to miss like three days. We're mm-hmm. going to drive the shit out of these cars as hard as we can. They ended up putting me and Kenny out on the track by ourselves because we were so different than the rest of the people there that right. day that were just you know fans and whatnot. And um I remember middle of the middle of this whole thing I'd heard about Kenny I think maybe on Thursday night thunder or whatever was still going on he was a sprint car racer right mm-hmm. midget yep. racer and so I'd heard about him midway through the th- it's just me and him and 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 the typical class right of yeah. doctors and lawyers and you know a couple wannabe race car drivers and me and Kenny I was like still in my street stock car just getting ready to go into a late model car in 93, and so, um, 94 ish. So, uh, Jeff Gordon walks up, <laughs> and now, and, and so I'm like, I'm like, oh, damn, Jeff Gordon, what's he doing here? <laughs> he comes up and starts talking to Kenny, him and Kenny. Uh, Jeff yeah. Gordon was like, sort of, you know, hound, hound, uh, Kenny Irwin and, and his abilities. And there was this sort of deep rooted industry effort to sort of, weigh, you know, we, you know, work Kenny into the NASCAR. You know, industry and, sure. and the NASCAR family. And you were sort of uh, part of that process. And he ends up going to drive for this team to get acclimated to right. stock cars, right?
2: Yeah, Kenny was driving in a truck series and then we ended up he doing was. five races with him. So we did Didn't a lot of testing. did he on the
0: pole or something at Richmond? Or outside pole? Outside pole, outside yeah. Pole, Bill Richmond. Elliott was... Yeah, yeah in the us. Tonka car. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I remember that.
2: <laughs> yeah, And
0: going Sorry. to Kenny, <laughs> Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, but that's... Yeah. I mean, it's a great memory because it's, it's, it's only one I won't forget.
0: He's doing these moments like that you're like oh damn here comes another jeff gordon Just yeah. what we need yeah. you know because I'm, er- yeah. I'm an earn i'm an fan yeah. right i'm like we don't need any hot shoes in yeah. here This <laughs> one's enough
2: <Yeah>. um <laughs> kenny was special man he, yeah. he drove the hell out of a race car and uh, we qualified outside pole at uh richmond qualified third at martinsville i mean the kid was yeah. just a superstar for sure and i enjoyed working with him
0: and so he's driving that car and the, are y'all running a limited schedule? What, it was, when, it is, was five, when is Rick yeah. driving the car?
2: Yeah, so that was a deal where <clears throat> David Blair had a team, but they they were running every week, but then they had different drivers. What car was that? 27. It oh, that the white car. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Were you messing back, with yeah. that car at all? Uh, Robert would have me do some races with oh, okay. every now and then. But, um, they
0: bought that car and that team from Junior Johnson. That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And so that team goes away. Yeah. Halfway through the year, they yeah. ended up closing up. They did, after we got done doing our five races. And then what did yeah. you do? Uh, so they I went. I,
2: over. I went back on the twenty
0: eight. Okay. Uh,
2: twenty. Yep. yep. So, um, but those races with the twenty seven car, it was neat because, like, if you weren't doing anything, you were, you were going to the racetrack. Like, there was a twenty eight and eighty eight team already in place, and everybody was already maxed out. So, I and mean, we were bringing janitors and whoever wanted to go pilots <laughs> to help on the car. But yeah, but a funny story about Kenny when I was his crew chief at Robbie Yates on the twenty eight car, um, we were qualifying in Atlanta. And we were like five cars away, and I go up, you know, just to give him a little pep top, and, and Kenny is sitting there holding on the wheel, and his hands are shaking like this, and I'm like, what the goddamn hell's going on with this guy, you know, he's losing it. So I stick my head in there, and I said, man, you all right? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm just building up the nerve. I'm like, yeah, qualifying's tough. I said, you'll be fine. He said, no, no, I'm building up the nerve that once I hit fourth gear, I'm going to take my left foot and put it on top of my right one so I don't lift.
0: Yeah, And wow. sure enough, he sat on the pole
2: by two like two mile an hour. Wow. Yeah, that was great, wow. but he was so nervous. Yeah, shaking like crazy before you even left to build up the nerve to do it. I've never heard that. Race day. car drivers. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're special. They're head cases. They're, a, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, I understand that. <laughs> no, I mean, there was, yeah.
0: nothing, there was nothing more nerve-wracking than qualifying, right. and it's specifically at certain racetracks like Atlanta. Like right. racing, running, you were never that nervous for the race to start. Right. Qualifying was going to be a moment where you got – it's close to the edge of the cliff yeah. without falling off,
2: and all eyes are on you. Yeah,
0: and you're out there alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was pretty, net, yeah. pretty, pretty tough. So, um, you're working on his car during his rookie year. Yes, you remember the Martinsville deal with Stewart, where, ah. the, where he throw, where Tony gets wrecked and yes. he throws the booties. Yes. So, yeah. do you does do you remember Kenny talking about the? There was a bit of a, there was a sort of weird competition between them because they were both. Yeah. Coming in from sort of the same discipline, both being, you know, championed as like these next great things, and it was a – they were sort of arguing over the spotlight, if you will. Um, And I don't know if Kenny took it as serious as Tony did, (laughs) but Tony seemed to – at least that day, Tony was really ticked off. Do you remember – Managing no, that
2: situation? No, I was more worried about the race car getting yeah. wrecked than anything else. You know, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I remember watching the replays of it. You know, yeah,
1: but, yeah. Now that you mention it, I had yeah. forgotten all about that. But yeah, that's right. There was a rivalry. Oh, there yeah. was a
0: little rivalry that just it kind was. of came and went. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think I don't know. I, I have my own opinions about it. But um, so, <laughs> what kind of driver was Kenny? Wide open. Yeah. I mean,
2: we had to pull the reins back. I mean, he was simply just. 100% all the time, and it just, you know, there was times and places you could do that, but some tracks you couldn't, yeah. and that was probably his biggest change was, you know, he come from a truck series where you can just drive the hell out of them, right, and now you come to the Cup Series, and you know, we took him, when he was doing the 27 car we took him to martinsville richmond a lot of places They you had to be really finesse right and that was not the type how place. do you teach somebody finesse if they're just wide open just just took time right and, and, and counseling and talking to him and and just showing them like look you're you're killing your tires for no reason and we did a couple tests and, and just finally he finally figured that out that you can't drive it like a truck or you can't drive it like a midget car and just uh, a lot of time and testing and a lot of frustration looking at data but uh um uh, testing was not good for us whenever we went with Kenny because it was learning, right, and um, teaching him. But when he went back to the race, he, he acclimated very, very well.
0: Yeah. That is an <clears> interesting <throat> thing that I still think is true today where our drivers come out of the trucks or the Xfinity Series to go into the Cup Series. And you were in the truck or the Xfinity car, shorter races, limited on tires, right. got to race hard all the time. Um, You literally do race the same way from lap one to the end. It's go, 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 go. And in the cup, you'll take a cup car at the same racetrack and and a 400 or 500 miler, you switch it on and off. Right. You know, you pick and choose when you go and when you don't. And um, the car and the driver itself can't be that, you know, that perfect to run full on. Right. You know, without hitting something. Yeah. You know, and um, (laughs) – Sometimes it takes some of our drivers years to figure that out, right? You see the different swing, Logano and and um, and William Byron, sure. and how they it took them four yeah. years to really kind of put it all it's together. Not easy. It ain't. It no. ain't easy. No. It's such it's such a unique discipline. Um, what do you think was you know th- is that pretty much back then? Is that what happened to Kenny? Is like he didn't get that opportunity of those four years or whatever he needed to sort of develop to where he could put those races together week in and week out.
2: Well, going back, you know, I became his crew chief in Atlanta, which is like the fourth race of the year. And I was, I was the car chief on Dale Jarrett's car at the time.
0: They moved you over.
2: They moved me over. So, literally, that Tuesday yeah. morning before Atlanta, Robert came up and said, hey, man, I'm going to make you crew chief.
0: Who was the crew chief? Mark Reno. And where'd Mark go?
2: I don't know. I mean, Damn. yeah. Again, I, I, I don't know. Mark that.
0: Reno's a badass.
2: Totally. Right? You know, and I'm thinking, like, <clears throat> what the hell did he do wrong? Yeah, you know, right? but sometimes sometimes things don't click. Mark may...
0: Reno doesn't sound... Mark Reno doesn't come across to me as the kind of guy that would work for anyone but himself. Correct. (laughs) Or Finch. James Finch. (laughs) He's still kind of working for
2: himself. And he could build a car by himself, too. On on his own, right? Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, I don't know if Robert thought that the relationship that Kenny and I had from the five races, because we hit it off okay, I think that might have been some of it. But, uh, yeah, that Tuesday morning of Atlanta, Robert said, hey, you're going to be crew chief of the 28, and and went to work on that. But uh, funny story was we were flying to Atlanta, and, again, I was the car chief for the the 88, and I was changing front tires. for the 88 and we're flying to atlanta and i looked at todd about halfway through and i said who's who's going to change tires for you he goes what do you mean i said well who's changing tires on the 88 he goes we haven't talked about that so we we land robert's on the other airplane we had two king airs so we land and uh hey robert we got a problem he's like what's up man who's changing tires on the 88 this week well you are i said well i'm the crew chief robert you just made me crew chief well, you can do both. He said, you can change tires. And he said, I'll just sit on the pit box. And until uh, we find someone to change tires <laughs> yeah. on the 88, we'll make you, cre- uh, you know, you can change tires. So <laughs> no shit, crazy stuff. So they, the 88's in pit stall 29, and the 28 is in pit stall 2. Oh, damn. So there's no way that I could do it, right? So right. I'm on the radio with Robert back and forth. And that was the race where, Kenny, we had led like 189 laps or something like that. We dominated the race. And uh, Dale Jarrett was running second. I was, it was the 2888 the whole time. So I'm changing tires. My car's leading. Changing tires on For the car, the running one. second. Total <laughs> show, you know? Just, and uh, Kevin Stimberis, he's the front tire carrier, and he's like, he's tugging on me. Now, I know what you're going to do. You're going to F <laughs> up this stop. And
0: you, you Oh, wow. Well, yeah, yeah. Sabotage. Like, yeah, he's like,
2: don't you F this up, man. I know what you're doing. So, <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. Yeah, so it, it came down to... <laughs>
0: you were going to Victor Lane either way. <laughs> yeah, right. So
2: actually, we didn't that day. So it, what had it happened was... It, we had to pit him to green. It's the way the race was going. We were all short on gas. And I told Robert, I said, man, I want to be the first one on pit road. The first one on pit road is going to win the race. And he said, no, no, yellow's going to come out. So we argued back and forth. Well, damn Maycar and the 18 team, they came down pit road, and they were the first ones on new tires, basically. They cycled past you. Yep. And they cycled past us and won the race. I think we finished third. Yep. And I was like, S-t. But anyway, that was probably, uh, I'm probably one of the few people that's been a crew chief on one car. And, pitting on another. I've but, never uh, heard it. Yeah, that was, that was definitely crazy times, uh, for sure, trying to make all that happen, let alone be your first race as a crew chief.
0: You stayed at uh, Yates till 2000. Yeah. All right, and your things are going well, I suppose. Um, why do you, you know, why do you want to leave and go to DEI?
2: Yeah, so um, what happened with Kenny was we had missed the Coke 600. mm mm-hmm. And they had the wrong rev-, rev limiter chip in, and the rev limiter was going off halfway down the back stretch. And How we, did that happen? Um, it was mismarked. Oh, it. F- yeah, but anyway, long story short on that. But it—that's your fault. Yep, hundred uh, percent. I wear uh, that target right, yeah, we talked about, right? right. So, so like, there's yep.
0: no way. No. Nope. Even so, though you. Yep.
2: Damn. One of those things. You wear the target, right? Whoa. So when you're the crew chief, if a wheel falls off. You're suspended, right? Tiling. I mean you get you yeah. get how it goes. So but um Texaco people were very, very pissed that we missed the show and I and I get it, right? Mm-hmm. We were like ninth or tenth. What did in y'all points. change
0: this chip right before qualifying? Qualifying. You, I mean, yeah, you, you really always
2: pick up RPM as you know and so not, you put a different tip in yep, Oh my god. Yep. yep. So anyway, uh, Rev limiter went off. We missed the show and um How do y'all miss yeah. the
0: show? I mean, there's the, Just the car fast enough. Wasn't, wasn't you had not have the provisional or nothing nope. to,
2: uh, we were like ninth, and, ninth in ninth points and we missed it, believe it or not. But uh yeah, so um it was probably it's, I don't know. It was probably four months later. Rookie battles, you know, you weren't doing very well. Rookie struggles, and um, next thing you know, I was I was out of the twenty
0: eight. Did Robert and them come and tell you that you're you're losing your job? Yep, right so we're gonna, gonna make a change, and you're yeah, I'm out out
2: out uh, once again. I was like, how would this happen? So I got released by Rick Hendrick. Yeah. you know or. D heart. And then now I got released by Robert and I was like, damn, what the hell, yeah. what's the guy got to do? So, um, it's one of those things.
0: <laughs> How do you handle it? Do you, are you, um, you, I understand, grab your stuff and walk out. Did you, well, did you stomp your foot? No, I knew something was up.
2: I knew something was up because I walked in, I used to get there six o'clock in the morning and Robert was never there that early. You know, he was always in the engine shop and <clears throat> the shop was pitch dark. And I could see my office; the light was on. And I, when I walked in, Robert was going through my notes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, and, that's and I a walked good indicator. Yeah, yeah. I walked different. in his, I walked in my office, and I said, "Hey, man, what's up?" And he goes, "Hey, we need to talk." And I said, "Yeah, I think I know why, you know." And sure enough, then he said, "We got we got to make a change." Getting pressure from the sponsors, and you know how it is—it's yeah. performance business and that damn old target, right? Yeah. And you you wear the wear the wear the shirt. And how, gotta... how soon after the missing the race did that happen? Uh, like three or four months. Oh, wow. Yeah, so just went, three or four months. But, but we had struggled, you know. It's just uh, no different than when Mark was with Kenny, right? Kenny was having a hard time adapting, and we were hoping that – or I guess they were hoping that I could find something in Kenny that, you know, wasn't there at the time. So, um, yeah, it didn't go good. And Kenny, uh, you know, obviously he, he left Robbie Yates to go yeah. to Felix's after a while. So, so where'd you go? Oh, shit, I forget. What year was that? <laughs>
0: 2000. Yeah, You would so, end up at DEI yeah, in, yeah. in the middle of 01.
2: So I, I actually went back to work at Rick Hendrick, uh, Hendrick Motorsports on a 25 car <laughs> with Tony Fur. Okay. Yep, I was his car chief. And um, Tony, Tony and I – Good guy. We had yeah, fun talking to him yeah. here. Tony and uh, Rodney Combs, they were kind of like – Tony was the crew chief and Rodney was like the shop foreman. And the that. Rodney
0: Combs. The Rodney Combs. The dirt yeah. racing
2: Yeah, the son. The son. The, the son. Yeah, the son. Okay. The junior. Uh, so they were there, um, and I worked there for one year and just – it just wasn't me. I, I don't know what it was, but I just wasn't me. And then Roberts calling me like, "Hey, come back to work." But what
1: part wasn't you? Is it I just Tony Fur? Is it the? I mean, you've been at the Hendrick Folds. I yeah, understand I how yeah. Hendrick has its own culture and its own brand, yeah. but uh, what?
2: I guess for me, I'm a Yankee, and I'm just used to busting my ass all day long and working hard, right, and just putting in the effort. And if I saw others not doing that, it would bother me. And there were some people. At that time, at that team, that weren't I thought weren't putting in the same effort, and it just I couldn't say nothing about it. So it was just best for me to go my own way. So I left.
1: You didn't speak your mind. No. But that was the problem. Because yeah. that was the problem <laughs> for you, me you you speaking my mind. You, you didn't right? have so, an outlet.
2: So I just said, you know what? Just that's when Rick was going through all this cancer and things like that, and I went to Rick's house and had a meeting with him, and and just decided it was just time for me to do something different. So yeah, yeah.
0: So you end up at DEI mid-season. Two thousand one,
2: <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I was back at work at Roberts, and then um, and uh, Ty hey, Ty Norris,
0: you went back to Robert Yates. Yeah, th- I worked there three times. All right, times. so you just got released yep. months ago. Yep. you go. What do you do? Walk go back up to Robert and say, Hey man, <laughs> I need a, I just, need a job. Yeah, just one of those. What things, do
2: you got? Robert called and said, Hey man, I need you to come back to work for me. So I went back to work for Robert. So what, yeah, what? he called Slutter. you. Yeah. <laughs> what in the yeah. hell. <laughs>
0: What a weird thing! <laughs> yes, it's I mean, totally. Weird. I want to ask Robert, like, yeah. hey, man, you know, you yeah. cut him loose, and then you yeah. call him back and hire him up again.
2: Yeah, like I said, I worked I worked for Robert three years. Never, never once had a a bad well, word w- with Robert. Right, no, well, always w- always good terms. Like right. Doug and I still talk. Everything was
0: right. So then yeah. I would have to assume yeah. when when yeah. He, when you did let get let go that you manage yeah. you handle that with class and yeah. fresh as a professional because he wouldn't yeah. have reached out to you months later
2: well it, it proved to me that it was the sponsor making the call not that's him. right mm-hmm. it know? wasn't okay. personal so it, was, it wasn't robert yeah. I, that's yeah. what i yeah. Yeah. did Conclude. you
0: hesitate though aren't you like well, yeah, still I'm a little bit of chip <laughs> on the, yeah. yeah that and a <laughs> yeah. chip on your shoulder yeah. like hey man you didn't but, i wasn't wanted but or, the
2: garage is too small you know I, i've learned that if you piss people off they don't forget it right so with robert i just and doug i've always had a good relationship with them and tried to try to keep it clean so even like when i left hendrick motorsports with gary dehart it's like decisions made already no matter what i do or say it's not going to change it right so you just take your licks and move well, on so
1: what did they hire you to do the
0: third time
2: then? uh car chief on 88 Yep. Yeah. back to yeah, car chief yeah, you're like car chief.
0: crew chief car yeah chief, crew chief, car and, chief, and that's what's tough chief, car that's Power tough <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah. so
2: um but yeah getting back to dei 2001 uh, Ty Norris calls me up and said, Hey man, I want you to come work, you know, for Michael. That's, in the middle of the season. Yeah, it's when Steve, uh, Steve was the crew chief at the time mm-hmm. because Egelson started and I think Steve took over and then they wanted me to come in. So I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, Well, let's give this crew chief shot again, you know, give it another shot. So I told Robert and Doug, like, Look, man, I'm sorry, but I I I want to go be a crew chief and there's nothing here for me. So I said I'm gonna go do this. So yeah, that Monday morning, I went. I went to work at DEI, and um, you know they brought me in, met everybody, and I just I've, I asked everybody. I said, "Look, I said here's what I need. I said Michael's our guy. I'm the crew chief. Y'all line up behind me. If you all line up behind me, we're all in this together. If you don't want to line up for what we're doing, if you have a contractor, you want to leave. Now's your chance." Yeah. And uh, everybody stood in line, and and we went to work. And H- help set the the table here, though, because.
1: I think 2001, I had forgotten about the Eggleston mm-hmm. was the crew chief. Michael Won. wins the Daytona, the Daytona 500, 500 albeit with, you know, um, t- tragedy. Sure. And now DEI is without its leader. So I don't. how long did Eggleston even third uh, hang year. around? Yeah, yeah 30 years. It wasn't year. long.
0: Um, wow. <clears throat> that's interesting, too, because I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. I, I mean, I've always just looked at you and thought, all of the Blue fifteen years, it was you, right? right. But you weren't there the in one at Daytona no, sir. when all that went down, right. and when and how that affected Michael, you weren't there in that moment. You came in after all that kind of was getting right put placed and pieced Stored back together, it. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was
2: a team in shambles, you know, because Steve was trying to do his job, you know, up on the hill. Yeah, Steve and, was the
0: competition yeah, director, director. Yeah. Yeah. and was a bit, you know yeah. just subbing till yeah. they found. Right, who the crew chief would be, right. which he would, he would do that for me as well. But, um, so you get you get placed in there as the crew chief, and I remember you being there a really long time, some good stability. Um, this is interesting to me now because up until this point, you had kind of been like bouncing from mm-hmm. this to that to the other, in this opportunity and losing this job, getting this yep. job back, bam, 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 you know. Now the longest tenure that you that you have. To this point is now with Michael. It is. Um, what was it about him that you never want? What was it about Michael or that job or that role that made you never walk out the door and go somewhere else? Right. Because I'm certain that you, you know, you seem to have, dot. You seem to have the the, you know, the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to go do something different. Right. And you would do it. You didn't even think, you know, twice about it. So, what made you stick around for so long?
2: Well, for one, I was excited to go back to work at DEI. You know, we talked about all the That's great right. things that we, your dad, and everything. And then just for that opportunity to go well, was back. Was it still the same? It was definitely different, uh, for sure, 100 percent different. And you know, the all the tools that were in place at DEI. You know, I came from robert Yates Racing and Hendrick Motorsports, and, and what your dad had built at DEI, they had everything they needed to be successful. And I had that opportunity with Michael and. You know, one thing we talked about was, with the guys was, like, you know, Michael's a guy not known for running competitively every week, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and if we can win races with Michael and run competitive, I said it's going to bring all of our stock up together. So if we all believe in Michael because yeah. he's got the sponsor and he's a driver and, and we can be successful together, we're all going to have b- benefits. So uh, basically walked in the door and just had a meeting with everybody, and I didn't come in and start cutting front clips off and changing yeah. everything. We kind of just uh, understood what they had and went to work.
0: The um – um. At DEI, Dad had built this big giant shop. But in that big giant shop was the one car and the eight. The fifteen was in the old AC Delco bus shop, about you know three hundred yards down the road. Even in that scenario, y'all were somewhat of an, uh, an on an island, you know. Right. And that might have been actually it. nice, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you're down there, you don't you know you you basically had more freedom, I suppose. Right. To be, you know, be creative and however, you know, make decisions without worrying about, you know, uh, what was going on up right. at the big house.
2: It's like I had my own race team. Yeah, I was just a half mile away from the big house and I had my own race team. But it was funny because Jay Ganier, you remember Jay? Yep. He, he always had a air horn on his toolbox. So every time I would walk into the eight shop, they would blow this air horn. <laughs> like, and start covering cars. Yeah. Because <clears throat> they never there wanted. Was me to see it. Yeah, it was competitive as hell. So when Fred Gray's worked for me, Andy's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Fred hijacked the gate code, and I turned off access to everybody on the a team, so they couldn't get to our shop. Yeah, it was that, it was that competitive, yes. amongst us, because we knew when we went to Daytona and Talladega, somebody on Highway Three was bringing home a trophy. Yeah, mm. and it was that competitive. Yeah. yeah, what was your relationship with the Urries?
1: Uh, starting yeah. out, like I'm, I'm asking uh, before you even came to DEI, where you, I'm sure you guys still, knew each yeah, other. Yes,
2: still good. Everything was great. We raced against
1: each other. Work, you yeah. know. Okay, um, and so then when you get to DEI, and it's so competitive.
2: Was there any tension between you and the Yuris? I don't. We were good friends. We always had good times and, and always talked. But I think like if we came up with a um, a spring or a shock or something, it wasn't like we drove up or drove up to the shop yeah. and said, "Hey, we got this." you Guess know. Oh, yeah. So I mean, we came up with a spring, Volt, uh, Voltland Springs out of Germany. They built us a spring. It was four thousand dollars, you know, and and we had an advantage. We took that to uh, in two thousand two. We took it to Homestead and finished second with Michael, uh, simply because of that technology, you know. And, and in today's world, you have to share that with your teammate. And back then, we didn't, no, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot of. Uh, when it comes to Speedway racing, it was definitely they they had their they didn't want to show me all their stuff.
0: And Tony and them did the same, man. Oh, that, absolutely. You know, they they would have things and like you say, they'd cover yeah. the cars up. I remember going to the um, going to Daytona and Talladega, and when we would. Um, it was a, it was a, a, it was a race amongst ourselves to get everything going to be able to, so you know more about this than I do. But from, from my perspective, first, the first time our cars came down pit road, all of us were taking rounds out of the back, Mm -hmm. right? There was a, there was a, there was a, a way you went through tech. Before the race, and yep. another way you went through tech after. the You were race. allowed a half inch tolerance. Yep. yep, and so you'd start the race with on the on the high side of that, and they yep. were going to end the race right on the borderline. Yeah, and a lot of teams weren't aggressive no. with that, right? But you were really yep. aggressive with it, and I and Tony Senior and them were too, yep. if not in spite of you, right, or to spite you. There was a <laughs> seriously man yep. when they when we um when y'all would beat us at. So when me and Michael it's the weirdest thing. When me and Michael are out on the track, we're like, hey man, i am I'm gonna help you. You help me. Right. It's we're in working my mind together. Right now. Yeah. Yep. We're we raced like we raced like very good friends. Yes, you did. Um and then but the teams are in the pits <laughs> going, We gotta do more than they're doing. Yeah. We gotta pull more rounds yeah. out than they're pulling out whether they you know and yeah. there was a there was a grumble of, you know, Tony oh, yeah. Sr. would be like, you know, if, they got they they did this and yeah. they were they figured this. Let's out. Let's pit on
2: eighty two and I'd come on eighty one. Yeah. You know, just like yeah, back then it was crazy, but yeah. but we knew like it was either going to be one or us, the other.
0: Or him, you yeah. know. So it was, so like, we were sitting there. <laughs> you you guys won the firecracker race yeah. in, 2003, in two thousand three or 2002. two? Okay, two thousand two. Yeah. We're racing along. It's coming down to the end. There's like ten laps to go. I'm running second yeah. to Michael, and I've got rusty wallace behind me so he's he if i move to go around michael rusty is absolutely not coming with me because he's the other beer car rusty was absolutely (laughs) never going to help the other beer car and that's fine you know but i knew that while i'm sitting there and i'm thinking and i but i can hear not literally tony senior's not literally telling me telling me this but i can hear them go your ass better try something (laughs) we're not going to follow michael across the finish line and I'm like, you know, there's many times where Michael had followed me across the finish line. Right. You know, I'm sure he tried, but he didn't. He didn't uh, cost himself a good finish or or me. Right. And there were times when we'd go across finish line, and it was me and him, and right. he was fine with it. He's like, hey, yep. it's how it's the way it went today. And um, I'm sitting there going, oh, I got to try something. I pulled out of the line like two or three to go, and nobody went. And I ended up like falling to the back of our little six car draft. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, hey, man, I can get out and say to Tony, I f- cried, man. Yeah. But then when I saw Michael, I could, he's like, what are you doing? Why did you try to pass me? Right. We're, I freaking help you all the yeah. time. And there you are yeah. trying to go yeah. around me. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, that was not, and that was out of character. <clears throat> you say
1: Tony Sr. didn't literally say it. I think he literally did. He might I remember have. a radio transmission. He might have. Where you were really confused on what to do. Yeah. I, I don't know if y'all were in a red I, flag I, or I if remember it was that. just under caution. And he goes, we got a whole team of people down here that says you need to try right. something. Yeah. That's right. Or you yeah. need to go pull You're out and right. do something. Yeah. Yeah. He absolutely You were heavily told you influenced. That. Yes. Yeah. Yep.
0: I was sitting there going, I think I should sit here, but I don't, you know, no. I don't have any help behind oh, he me. He played the team card, which makes
1: total sense yeah. based off of what you guys are yeah. saying, yeah. right? Yeah. It was that competitive. With it each was.
2: Other. I'm glad you did what you did because I won my first race as a cup crew chief. So thanks, man. No, <laughs> no wait a second. I don't no. think I was going around <laughs> either way. Yeah, it was tough. Go yeah. back,
1: though, to 2001, though, because yeah. that was the firecracker race in 2003. But this one is 2001. You're the crew chief by this time? No.
0: no okay, Steve so was. this, this yep. was
1: still Steve. Yep. Okay, yep. all right, yep. all right.
0: Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it was – I just remember the uh, – I remember the, the teams didn't – they worked together to a point when there was real, you know, real speed advantage and so forth. Yeah. They absolutely kept those yeah. from each other if possible, which we, was – We were so
2: competitive, but yeah. we would learn, like – I would learn from Bono, who worked on the one car, what the eight was doing, yeah. right? And then <clears> – <throat> Bona would tell the, the eight guys what we were doing on the 15. Yeah. So, I mean, it was super competitive. <laughs> like, you'd go in the body shop at night when his car was in the body shop getting Bondo work done. And, I mean, hell, the car that I won, the, the 2003 Daytona 500, it was built at the fab shop, but we did so much to it in our shop. You know, it's got three noses on it and two roofs, you know, but that wasn't done <laughs> up at the shop because we didn't want no one to know. But, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the type of thing that you do. Like, we actually put padlocks on the doors. Uh, where we did all this work because we didn't want nobody finding out.
1: But. I, can, yeah. can, can you guys get away with this if <laughs> DEI is, has its leader and in, in, isn't in, in a little bit of a disarray? I mean, like, Oof. is this a normal thing, is what yeah. I'm trying to understand. I was, loved how we pushed each other, man. It was very normal. Yeah.
0: That was absolutely yeah. no different than any other team we've had. You know, we've had them, um, you know, we've had other teams, other people involved in other teams, the Cranifer Sauce deal with. Um, um, you know, Jeremy Mayfield yeah. and Rusty Wallace, and right. you know all those every the dad and Skinner team, I mean, yeah. they all competed, but mm. man,
2: we pushed each other so hard. like hard. Tony Jr and myself, I just had a different way like I, like I if I wanted to do something, I 'd look in the rule book and try to find my way through it where other people were more methodical and like yeah. well, we can' not do that. I'm like, screw that we 're doing it, you know and, yeah. but man, we it was battle for the competitors because Tony Jr. and myself going against each other made us so much more competitive. We just grew together. But, you know, there was things that we did that they didn't know about, and I'm sure there's a shitload of stuff they did that we didn't know about. But uh,
1: Is that a realization uh, in the moment or is that a realization in hindsight that you guys were actually good for each other? Oh, I knew. I I knew. Do you think he did?
2: Do you think that he appreciated how you guys were so competitive that it was making you both better? I do. I really do. Hmm. I really do. Cause we laughed and kid and y'all did. Yeah. But we got along good. Hell, we had a party at my house. I don't know if you remember this 2003 after Bristol, we raced Bristol Saturday night. We had a party at my house on Sunday. And I told my wife, I said, look, we're going to do something for the 15 guys and we're going to rent some bouncy house for the kids to jump in and have, you know, go swim and have cookout and stuff. So anyway, I didn't tell my wife, but 250 people showed up. Right. So we had this big party. I told Tony June and everybody. So, I got home from Bristol like at 2 o'clock in the morning. My brother-in-law, Tommy Wheeler, I don't know if you know him. He's in motorsports, but he's cooking barbecue and all this stuff. So, like, I get home, and it's wide open party time. And I bet you don't remember this, but it was probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Keep in mind, we're supposed to have 25 to 50 people over, and there's 250 people show up. We ran out of beer, and i you were there. Park was there. Everybody was there. And I'm like, Dale Jr., we're out of beer. We got a problem. No problem, man. I got this. You called somebody, and... Thirty minutes later a Budweiser truck backs down the driveway. Guarantee <laughs> it. <laughs> and I was like, this is so effing cool, you know? I but, don't remember uh, that. But no, you don't remember it? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well I bet you don't remember it, but I bet yeah. you know that
1: how possible that yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, you could just yeah. call up the beer truck. <laughs> yeah. I mean you but probably call Joe Glenn or somebody.
2: But my point was everybody that worked at DI was there from the eight to one to fifteen. We all got along, had a good time and, you know, had a big party, had, and uh, I rented a stage to go up in the backyard. My wife didn't know about this either. So Sunday morning, we rented a stage. This guy pulls up in a tractor trailer to put this stage up in the backyard. Well, hell, there was a tree in the way. Well, that damn we had to cut tree down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my and then we God. had a live band playing. But, I mean, it was a good time. But, yeah, you were pretty drunk that day. You probably don't remember. Oh, that's not a <laughs> unique situation, I'm sure, back then. We were all there with you, trust me. But, oh, no, we all got along really good. Yeah. I, I thought so. Like, I don't think there was ever, like, screw him. He's an ass. I don't think I've never. Like, I, w- I always had that respect for Pops and Junior to, to keep it, you know, we race against each other, and we're friends during the week and enemies on, on race day. When they throw yeah. the checkered flag, that's the mentality I have, man. From checkered flag, you know, from green flag to checkered flag, I didn't care about anybody but myself and winning the race because that's what yeah. I was paid to do.
0: So um, let's you know let's dive into how things fell apart at DEI. I mean, you 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 were part of that process where we lose dad. Mm-hmm. You came you come in later, but yep. in the same year, teams sort of trying to. Pull itself together, and we're we're getting relatively competitive. Uh, I had a great year in 04, um, but you know, and, and we—I don't want—I don't, I don't have to relive all of the reasons why me and the Uries fell apart. It was stupid, mm-hmm. and it was my fault. But um, at the end of 4 I'm thinking, man, I can do better. Mm-hmm. And uh, these guys are assholes, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna go. I'm gonna—I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm yeah. doing something different. And so the idea—I believe that you have is that we were going to be put together mm-hmm. is that what i mean when do you find this out when are you learning about all of this
2: so i just want to touch on something before we do that so prior to i was crew chief for michael and then charlotte race i got <laughs> released and they put Peter rondo as crew chief at
0: what? the before the season
2: uh no no this is the before the end the, of the charlotte yeah no oh oh three uh oh, five, i think 05. it was yep so i don't know if you remember you and michael had gotten together on track at charlotte i wrecked michael yeah, yeah. That's and a big deal. I got pissed, and a bunch of stuff happened. Well, anyway, I, I got released on that Monday morning. They made me competition director, and they made Pete Rondo crew chief. But going back a little bit on that, and, and I don't think you remember this or know this, and neither does Michael, but I was sitting in my office and got a call, and they said, hey, come up here a minute. So I went up there, and it was up in Richie's office. Steve Chris was up in there and, and a couple others that we don't need to talk about. But they said, hey, tomorrow morning we need you to fly to Atlanta. We want you to go meet Napa. Well, the people mike Reardon and spence and a couple others mm-hmm. so um uh, they said you got to pick up dale jr and i'm like well, what are we going to do and they said well we're going to introduce who we want to drive the car next year and i'm thinking man michael he's a he's a media giant he wears the Nomex. he represents the brand i'm like this is pretty policy so i'm thinking there's no way in the hell i'm going to get dale jr to come with me in the morning you know because they wanted me to go to your place and pick you up
0: yeah and I'm like, I am like didn't I'm, get up till noon. Yeah.
2: And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get him in my car? And Steve Chris says, man, just go buy McDonald's and get him a couple of chicken biscuits. He'll do anything for that. <laughs> so I get, I pull in it's your true. house. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I pull in your house at 630 and there's people everywhere. You had a party all nighter. Oh yeah. And I come pulling in, I'm dressed up and, shit, and you're like, Slaughter, what's up? They're like totally, you forgot totally that you were going with me. Yeah. I was picking you up. So I finally called Richie, and I said, man, he ain't coming. I said, he's he's having too good a time. So we left you there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I I probably said too much already. No, it's good. <laughs> it is what it so, is. So we have this meeting and everything, and, and, and we go back, and we report to the people that we met with Napa, and they weren't very receptive. And we get back, and we have our meeting with our people and tell them how it went and everything. And, dude, it wasn't two months later I'm out. That's when the whole after-Charlotte thing happened. What and I knew Michael was going to find out eventually, and then, I think it was probably two days after that meeting, my relationship with Michael went downhill. Like
0: he knew, he knew knew something. that I went
2: to Napa try to get him replaced with another with another, with another driver. driver, and I'm like, I didn't know who that driver was when I got on the airplane. Yeah, and I was voluntold to go, so I went there and had the meeting, and our relationship. Like two days after that meeting, he found out like that, as he sh- as he would have, right? Yeah. And and our relationship went downhill, and then things were very very tense. Obviously, got in a wreck with you, and then that Monday morning, Slugger, your competition director. Wait, 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 <laughs> That's a lot, right there. Was yeah. it?
1: There's a lot. All right, so let me ask a couple questions. One, yeah. why were y'all bringing Dale Junior?
2: I mean, they wanted Dale Junior to help sell that drive, just
1: be uh, an yeah. Earnhardt. Yep.
2: Okay. A representative. Okay.
1: Because yep. for a second, it's like yep. y'all wanted to. You, you, you teed it up like like Junior might be a driver. That's not no, obviously no, going to no, happen. No. You, he's the bud guy. Yep. Okay, he's secondly, um, guy. when Dale Jr. and Michael wrecked, I thought the Uries were the crew
2: chief. The, Tony, Mm-mm. well. No, I was there. Did he wreck him twice? Maybe. I because don't remember that. Don't you that, remember
1: but, Tony yeah. Jr. or Tony Sr. making yeah, it was such after. a big spectacle? Yep. Um, and I thought that was in 05.
2: Yeah. They had Michael and him got together when I was his crew chief. at Charlotte. And the next day, I was out. And the next day, you were out. Yeah, they made me competition director. So yeah, so but, but that whole thing with go back to Michael. So when your dad passed away, <clears throat> you, you, like you were the Yuris man. You're tight. You're like glue, right? You knew he knew everything about you, and you knew everything about him. And and Michael, we did, We were successful. We had some really good races, but there was times where Michael went in a lull, like didn't know who he was or. He wasn't himself, right? And I never really could put it together. Never try to. Didn't want to get personal with him and ask him too many questions, like you know, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. Why'd you do that for? Mm-hmm. You know, you just try to support your driver. But I never really knew what was wrong with Michael until I got. I went to his premiere uh, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude, it, during that movie, I cried like a baby. It, it it put everything together of why Michael struggled on track sometimes. Um, he was grieving. Yeah. Still to this day, he still grieves. He hundred you know? percent is I mean, still grieving. He lost his best friend. He lost his wife over it. You know, yeah. and, and his race team. We supported him through thick and thin. But at the end of the day, man, he was driving in grief. He he said that that was tough. Yeah, and it was tough. I never like it. Never once thought crossed my mind that he was grieving from your dad passing away. But he would do things and say things that wasn't him. And and once I saw that movie, it all came true. And I wish I would have had a better relationship with him to help him through it. It was definitely y'all, a tough time.
0: You and Michael, y'all communicate today?
2: So, go, going back to the airplane ride to the Napa headquarters, I think it strained our relationship. Uh, we talk and text, but it's nothing like what it was. Right. What I mean, we won races together, and I'm now probably one of the most successful crew chiefs with Michael. Uh, but uh, there's times where you can tell it's strenuous, yeah. you know. But um, I hope me saying that. Today helps helps our relationship with Michael because I really miss the guy, and, man, I stuck my balls on the line for him a lot, you know, and uh, to have a relationship that's not like it should be, you know, after all the good times we had together, definitely it bothers me to this day. But, uh, man, Michael getting me my first win as a crew chief and winning the Daytona 500, you know, just, uh, man, that's stuff that you can't take back from anybody, and it's because of Michael. And I hope one day our, our relationship gets better.
1: Wouldn't y'all both agree that there was probably a lot of misunderstandings <laughs> and stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, during those tumultuous years? Uh, you know, I think everybody took things personal. My, my other story to that would be: weren't you supposed to be Dale's crew chief at one point when they're having that, you know, yeah. well-publicized uh, team switch, right. which is your guys? Yeah. Didn't yep. he take your guys? He did, yep. And, and weren't you going to be the crew chief? I know Steve Mill was on here not too long ago, and I think Steve Mill remembers things from his vantage point, um, but you were going to be the crew chief until you weren't. Right.
2: It was then Pete Rondeau. Right.
1: Is that, how did that happen?
2: Well, it was very or actually, how intru- yeah. did it not happen? Yeah, right, exactly. So uh, they had pulled me in the office and said, hey, look, we're going to make a crew chief swap. Uh, we're going to put you with Dale Jr. We think it's going to be a great fit. You and how you are, your mentality, and, and what you do and your approach to racing, we think it's going to fit Dale Jr. And we're going to swap the URIs to Michael. And they said, do you want to do that? And I'm like, well, hell yeah, I want to be with Dale Jr. Who doesn't, you know? So they said, all right. They said, uh, we haven't talked to the URIs yet. We wanted to make sure you were on board. He said, we're going to we're gonna talk to the URIs tonight. Just come back here tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, and we'll take you up to the eight shop and introduce you to everybody. So... Get back there the next morning go into the office and they said uh, hey we we've changed our mind and i was like what the hell do you mean you know keep in mind i went home told my wife my kids told my family hey i'm gonna be dale juniors crew chief tomorrow i'm so excited you know um next morning they said yeah we changed our mind we're not gonna have you and be the crew chief and in fact you don't have a job here no more and i went now wait a minute what, what the hell just happened you just told me i was going to be crew chief less than 12 hours ago and now I'm out. And they said, yep, we've had a change of heart. And we don't think you're committed to the program. And out the door I was.
1: Is that because yeah. of that, that ski trip?
2: So when I became competition director, Richie had told me that, you know, there's four weeks of the season left, whatever. And he said, we'll figure out what we're going to do with you. And I said, all right, I'm going I'm to take a vacation and go away at the end of the year. Me and my wife had booked a trip. We went on vacation, or we plan on going on vacation, and then I don't know if me going on vacation was... I mean, who the hell doesn't go on vacation, right? But I just i don't know if that was the point, but I never asked Richie because Richie and I are still good friends and, and we talk a lot, but I never... It's like I don't want to know what why, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? I never asked him, like, what the <clears throat> hell happened? Yeah, I, I don't know, and maybe you know what happened. I, I don't know... All I know is I was your crew chief for twelve hours, yeah. and it never ever happened. I don't know if the Yuri said something to you, or the I, I don't know, and and part of me wants to know, but the other part doesn't because yeah. I feel like you and I could have had a lot of su- success together, but never had that opportunity. But um, well, I, I heard know. I heard Steve say something <laughs> to the effect of he went on vacation, and that is the first I've ever heard of yeah. me not getting that job because I went on vacation.
0: We should sit down well, with Richie well, one day. and yeah. sort it. Yeah, I know. Um, Richie's coming in. Well, here. I mean I yeah. would not, with with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. me not, and me yeah. slugger and Richie. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because I'll be honest with you. Um I don't know how much I influenced that or I didn't. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. Um you you coming over to the house at, you know, six thirty in the morning yeah. and me being you know me being <laughs> you being a kid. Me not <laughs> but I wasn't a kid. Yeah. Me being fourteen hours into yeah. a party yeah. um <laughs> was you know, the decisions I was making right. back then yeah. they yeah. weren't they weren't good they weren't good decisions. Yeah. Um and I thought I knew what was best for me yeah. and I could I was the last person to right. na- to make those decisions. Right. And they were, for whatever reason, giving me that influence, or allowing me to have yeah. the influence to yeah. say something like, I don't think I need to be with the Uries anymore. Yeah. What a dumb damn thing! Yeah, you know, yep. that should have never happened. I was
2: surprised when they when they told me that they were going to swap teams. I was surprised. It should have never happened. It yep. Should have never been considered.
0: Yep. They should have got us in the room and said, "Y'all get y'all shit together." Right.
2: Well, that was one of the points yep. that Steve Mills. Your dad made. would have. Yes. yes. If well, your st- dad was there, he'd have took yeah.
0: care of that.
1: Steve sure. said, let you, "Let you say your thing," but nobody tried to talk you out of that. And that yeah. you know, Ty would have like like somebody that get, was, get that, into the yeah. truck. Let's go for a ride and let's talk right. about this.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: nobody did that.
0: Yeah. You end up going to. You know Ray everhams let's talk
2: about winning Daytona five hundred okay. I mean that was something positive but yeah of course. That's true yeah, so it, it's kind of a weird story I've, we won the five hundred rain delayed, right so it was rain delayed for like three hours it yeah. took forever yeah. but man it was it was so great to know that you we all watch the weather on our phones and everything right we know it's gonna rain I'm thinking here here I am a young kid from Maine about to win the Daytona 500 right just no uh, high school education, school of hard knocks, and here I am freaking gonna win the Daytona 500. So I'm all excited. And as time's passing, we're waiting for the race to get called. And man, I'm about to throw up. I mean, my, my <laughs> nerves are shot, and, and I'm not feeling good. I'm just all queezing everything. So anyway, I go in the bathroom, and I'm sitting on the toilet pooping.
0: Oh my gosh. Got my headset
2: on. You can imagine the cords hanging down. And David Hoots comes on the radio and says, the Race is official. Bring the 15 to victory 15 lane. And here in. I am on the crapper. You know what I mean? And uh, that just that just sums up my life, I guess. That's sometimes where I always, yeah. yep, <laughs> Sometimes I always end up on the s**t, <laughs> but uh, I'm from Maine. I'm a fighter. I'm not going to give up, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, so I won a Daytona 500 Sit on the s**t. <laughs> <show.
0: laughs> that's a hell of a thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's a funny story, but
1: it also, listen, that, that also one was so prevalent for Michael. I remember Once. those shots. I remember that video of him being able to celebrate a Daytona 500. Yeah uh clearly not you know unable to do that before. Um but yeah. uh I felt like that was a bit of a healing. A moment. Yeah. It was a great win. Yeah. It was great win. that was good for a lot of people. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Yep.
0: So I wanted to ask you about um so you worked with Mayfield and Ray, um and you know, that was right around the time where May, where um uh, Jeremy ends up getting uh kind of, you know, blasted out of the sport sure. for lack of a better w- way to explain it um you know d- what do you remember about all of that and um what you know what kind what kind of race car driver was jeremy yeah. at that particular point
2: yeah so i remember a lot about that you know jeremy was i was new that year i was his crew chief and uh, just got to learn him and Shayna. you know we hung out at his farm and did yeah. a lot of cool things and rode four-wheelers and did all that crazy stuff shotguns and did stuff like that but uh I've never, we won Michigan on a fuel mileage race with Jeremy. So Jeremy was the type of guy, like if he thought you were screwing the system, he would, he'd, he'd find you two more tents, you know? So we had worked on the fuel cell and, and we knew that we could go, I think, 46 laps where everyone else could go 42. So yeah. we knew, we knew we were going to win the race on fuel mileage if it came that way. So Jeremy was pretty stoked about that, but I never, never, ever had an instance where I felt like he was out of sorts, yeah. you know, like if he was in a race car and if he was, Doing things he shouldn't have been doing. I I never had that suspicion, you know. Yeah, and huh. even going to the farm and hanging out with him, I never like, hey, I'll be right back in two minutes, you know. And yeah. I, I never saw any of that. So um, I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a, a chemist either. So I, I don't know any of that. But I can just tell you that i never had any suspicion of any foul play of any sort.
0: I wonder. Um... It just seems like to me that there was a, you know, sort of a clash of personalities between him and Ray that, you know, and, and listening to – sitting here talking to, to Jeremy, like, he couldn't help himself. He kept, like, agging on yeah. a bad – a situation and continuing to make it worse. And um, he would get – you know, he'd get been out, out of shape about a, you know, personnel change or something that was happening within the team and organization. Right. And – and – you know, the Ray would take those reactions from Jeremy and and in in a frustrating way. Imagine imagine he would, any owner right. would, but um you end up uh where how did you get out of that deal? Where'd you
2: So I had a three year contract with Ray and then
0: How long had you been yeah. there?
2: Uh I worked for Ray for one year. One year. Yeah. yeah. And Again, me being from Maine and being bullheaded, it just it just wasn't me. You know, yeah. I just wasn't – you know, when you get up every day and want to go to work, it makes a difference. And I was driving to Statesville. It was 55 minutes away. I just wasn't happy. Um, like I said, we won a race on fuel mileage, but still, Kenny Francis was my engineer, great guy. Um, Kenny was the crew chief, and they made me the crew chief just to deal with, with everything. And, I don't know, it just wasn't me. And then after a year later, I asked Ray to get out of my contract and didn't know where I was going and didn't matter. That's where I went, so – you Went back to Yates, yeah. I know it. <laughs> Dale Jarrett, yeah. Uh, Eddie, Old DeHunt, Eddie DeHunt called me up and said, Man, I'm in a bind, need someone. He said you're not working, this you is do it? your safety net, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, Doug talked about that a lot, yeah. you know. He said, You're, you're our go to guy in the bullpen. So, I uh, went back to work at Yates, uh, with, with Dale Jarrett on the 88 car. Todd Parrott had just left, um, and took his place you was, got you oh, go got ahead. suspended it's, it for was right work. here right yeah. Up the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah i was gonna say yeah. yates yep. has always been right up on school corner yep. not right? always not but, always yeah but that's where they were when i took over
0: you got yeah. suspended okay. four races for an illegal sway bar and you went in and gave your resignation <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> yeah. robert and he refused it
2: <laughs> he did yeah so basically um again with me and rule books right i always i always kept a rule book with him it didn't matter if i was on an airplane or at the doctor's office or sit down toilet i always mm. read a rule book tried to work my way through, and we had found a way to make a rear sway bar do more than what it was supposed to do. Um, Basically made it a torsion bar, so basically being creative, right? Um, I still think that someone threw me under the bus to NASCAR when I got caught with it, but um, basically you could, the way we were running it, if you run to, say, At Richmond back then, you would run an 800-pound spring. You could, With this torsion bar setup we had, you could run a 200-pound right rear spring, and it would just save your rear tire, which, as you know, at Richmond was key. So basically got caught with that, and I told Robert, you know, because they suspended me and all that crap, and I just wasn't a fan of being suspended. So I I tried to quit, and Robert wouldn't let me quit. He said, we're going to get through this together and um, just – one of those things. But I was always competitive, and I always wanted to do something somebody else wasn't, right? So I wanted to be – We celebrate um, that here in this room. Yeah, you know, yeah. I went to Smokey Unix shop in 1992, and I got enamored with the guy. You know, I had yeah. a conversation with him, and just I was floored, and I just always had that mentality to work harder than somebody else and do do things that other people aren't, you know? And I always get pissed when I hear people are doing things, and I'm like,
0: damn, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. You know, that's
2: what that's what drives me every yeah. day is to be creative.
0: So I, I always thought of it as, you know, you were, you were looking – if you carried that rule book around, you were re- look, you were carrying it around to find a hole in it, not necessarily yeah. to br- outright break a rule that was written in the rule book, but find the rules that weren't written, right. weren't yet written. Um, you also had an issue uh, as Paul, Mc- Paul Menards Arch crew chief uh, in a frame rail. I want to know what the method was, what the in- what were you trying to, sure. how were you trying to find? Would a you good go on
2: J look up my record on yeah. finds. <laughs>
0: right, we've got a good researcher here. <laughs>
2: no. Um, yeah, so basically back then is when NASCAR had a gauge, <clears throat> they would check wheelbase and offset off the frame rail. They had a gauge went in through the door, and it measured four points. Yeah. And if the car was built properly, you could twist the frame rail to to get a benefit. Well, this particular car that I had wasn't built to the maximum of what it could be, and I tried getting the frame rail cut out, and they wouldn't cut it out for me. So basically went on Amazon.com and bought a port power tool that was – I don't know about eight foot long, went in the frame rail and spread it out till you, till you got to that number. So basically, we molested a frame rail. So, freaking, <laughs> so the frame
0: rail, frame yeah. rail it's is still <laughs>
2: straight in the car, but where that gauge sat on, it had like a piece of one inch tube went through the door, yeah. and where the gauge sat, I simply it was went wide. in there and spread it out.
0: And so visually, wouldn't you be able to look at that and see it
2: uh, with the door on? No.
0: So it was hidden in the it crush panels.
2: Yeah, it was hidden behind the crush panels. Hidden panel. behind you the doors. In the, in the, yeah. Yeah. And keep in mind, you're and only you, talking like it was probably 60 thousandths.
0: And yeah. that was enough yeah. of an advantage?
2: Well, nowadays, 4 thousandths is enough of an advantage, Dale. I mean, it's just and, when everybody's so tight. Yeah, yeah so um, so we finished third with Paul Menard at Michigan, and they said, We're taking your car to the tech center as random.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, whatever. So they take the car to the tech center on Tuesday morning. Craig smokes that. He's my car chief. And he calls me from a text. I didn't go because I knew, I just knew, like, if they took the crush panels out, they would probably be suspicious or someone told them. So um, Craig calls me. He said, man, you need to get here. I'm like, why is that? He said, Darby's pissed. I'm like, "Why's Darby pissed for? He said, he saw that frame rail. I said, well, tell him I ain't coming because I'm screwed anyway. He said, get your ass here now. So I drove up there an hour from Welcome. And Darby, he's smoking cigarettes like crazy. He is mad as hell. And. What is this slugger? And I'm like, dude, you got me. I mean, there's nothing, there's no way. I always tried to, whenever I did something, I always tried to have a way out, right? An excuse or a reason. And and what I did was probably one of the most malicious things I ever did that was so freaking stupid. So tiny, you know, but any crew chief you talk to will tell you that That they do stuff for the littlest of advantages, you know, and um, it was a dumb decision, but it was me being bullheaded for the fact of the chassis shop wouldn't move that frame rail. To make the car proper, yeah. I took it in my own hands. Did it at night. Two people knew about it. One of those things that uh, just, you know, sometimes you got to learn to let things go. And uh, like, like I told you at the start of the show, I made some bad decisions in my life, and that was certainly one of them. But there was,
1: uh, the, you're trying to get the chassis shop to build this
2: thing uh, d- uh, different, and they won't do it? But, well, basically, they build all the cars that way. Well, this one didn't come that way for whatever reason, it was a mistake. And I tried to get them to fix the mistake, and they wouldn't. They said they didn't have time to cut the side off, cut the frame rail out. It's a big process. So simply, I oh. went on Amazon, bought a tool, and took care of it myself. And probably not the best thing to do because most owners will support you in fines uh, if they know about it. But when they don't know about it, you're stuck paying it yourself. So that was 125 dollars out of my pocket. Wow.
1: 125000 yeah.
2: yeah. Let alone being suspended. And I'll tell yeah. you, dude, there is nothing worse. Mon- money means a lot, but there is nothing worse than sitting home being suspended when your friends are racing. I mean, I was the biggest ass ever for those four weeks. I mean, it is so tough because that's what you do, right? Yeah. You, you wake up every day to, to, to be successful and build winning race cars, do the right strategy, do everything right. And then when you're not there, have that opportunity, you're sitting at home and that is the biggest kick in the jimmies you'll ever have in your yeah. life.
0: Hey, Dirty Mo listeners! This is Dylan Hart Jr. It's May, and you know what that means—the Indianapolis 500 is just around the corner. Thankfully, we have Speed Street with Indy car racer Connor Daly and comedian Joey Molinero. They're going to get us ready to go. Follow Speed Street so you never miss an episode, and get ready for the greatest spectacle in racing—the Indianapolis 500. You ended up becoming crew chief for um, Austin. You've been at RCR yeah. for a while, right? I was with Paul Nard, yeah. yeah. You yeah. were with Paul, then you were researching development yep. and different roles. Um how did your relationship uh with Richard change when you became a crew chief for his grandson? Yeah. It was I mean, tough. That's like, driving, yeah. that's like being my crew chief. That's like yeah. a, a tough job.
2: Yeah, it's a hornet's nest for sure. Yeah. But uh you know, when when Paul drove the twenty seven car at RCR, <clears throat> management never really said much. They just let me do my thing, go race, do my thing. And, you know, with Paul for four years, things were kind of getting stagnant. Won the Brickyard 400, which was great. Uh, phenomenal race that I'll never forget. But things were getting stagnant over time, as you know. Like you and the Yuris. I mean, instead of just sitting in a room and saying, let's get our shit together, we just we grew apart. Uh, so Paul and myself separated. I went to R&D, and I was working on cars, working on speed for the crew chiefs, doing things that you're supposed to do. Uh, run some races with Brian Scott and, and run a race at Michigan with Ty Dillon and built this pretty badass car had some pretty unique stuff on it that was uh looking for a performance advantage wasn't cheating it was performance advantage (laughs) the (laughs) Um, way you glow when you tell those stories by the way is funny because that (laughs) shit don't come easy man you work your ass off to get those things and uh so we're running michigan and austin's driving the three dow car and and here's ty driving this other unsponsored car or whatever it was and ty had passed austin and when Ty passed Austin, he put his finger out the window. Oh, wow, he his wow. Brother. He was at his brother. And then, uh, <laughs> so we ended up, we we were going to finish like second or third, and then uh, it started raining or something, we had to pit. But then we we ran top five most of the race with Ty that day. So we get back to the shop, and I'm getting a car ready to go to Richmond and do a tire test with Brian Scott. And I'm laying another car, sitting in a track bar, and someone kicks my feet. What the hell? So I kept on working, kicks my feet again. I, I crawl off one of the cars, Mike Dillon. He said, hey, man. He said, uh, you're crew chief of the three now.
0: <laughs> Just like that. And
2: I'm like, what? He said, yeah, the guys are in the conference room. He said, let's uh, let's go. I said, what happened to Gil? Gil Martin, which is a great dude like Mark Reno. You know what yeah. I mean? I get it. Sometimes this sport is so freaking competitive that you, if you don't do your job or things don't go right, you get eliminated. That target. And um, they take me in the office and introduce me as the crew chief of the three. And we have an off week coming up before we race the NOMA. and here I am, crew chief of the three. So I was kind of voluntold, like, here you go. And I was like, man, I'm really happy doing my R&D job over here. And they're like, no, this is what we're going to do. So I uh, went to work for Austin and just um, – that was probably one of the biggest letdowns of my life, honestly. Really? Because <clears> – <throat> let me say why. Um, it's because I never want to race with him. That was the biggest letdown. I wanted that three car. I wanted to be the crew chief yeah. that led that three car to win other than your dad. And, man, it just never freaking happened. That was the biggest disappointment in my career is yeah. not winning with Austin. I'll tell you. <laughs> and then the next race, when I'm done, they win on fuel mileage at the 600. So it was great, you know. But <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I, I really I loved working for RCR. But when I became Austin's crew chief, it's it really got tense between Richard. And it was everything that Gil Martin had told me it was going to be, you mm. know. Um, Richard was very, very passionate. And passionate about his grandsons and wanted everything the best and constantly on the digital radio in your left ear, that's all you heard was Richard just the whole race yeah. all during practice and just relentless. And it just, it got to the point where, you know, this, this guy's in the hall of fame and and I'm having fights with him over his grandson driving. And it's just, it was nonsense. You know, it was stupid. I just didn't, I gave Richard the utmost respect when I was Paul's crew chief. And then when I was, Austin's crew chief, I probably didn't give him what he deserved, you know, because he was really protective of his grandson, as he should be. But I just uh, – I really, really struggled with that. Uh, had a hard time. enjoyed working there, uh, but things got really, really tense. And uh, Eric Warren and Mike Dillon stepped in and said, look, we need to do something different. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad they did.
0: You, after after that role, you did a little bit of TV. I did. Which was interesting. Um had to probably give you a nice appreciation for that side of things. Totally, and you got hired by Toyota right away.
2: I did, yeah. So I went to work for. Uh, I did some stuff for MRN for a while. Called some races. At NBC uh, did their Tuesday night shows and Thursday night shows. I really, really enjoyed that. But uh, Andy Graves called me up and said, "Look, we're looking for someone to come in and and take over the drag racing series." Yeah. And I'm like, "Dude, I don't know damn thing about drag racing, you know." And he goes, "Perfect. That's what we want. We want someone to come in, bring all the NASCAR technologies, all of our tools." Uh, and help these crew chiefs, uh, you know, get, get modern. So basically uh, my first couple of races, uh, first race was at Charlotte in 2017, Doug Coletta wins the race. I'm like, this is easy, you know, <laughs> once again, but um, no, basically I had to go in there and just learn all over, you know, cause I didn't know anything uh, much. Like when I started working for Kelly Moore, I didn't know. and uh, I just started talking to the crew chiefs and listening and paying attention. And I quickly, quickly learned in drag racing that crew chiefs, they're focused on engines and clutches, because that's where it's all at. They didn't pay as much attention to safety, to headers, to aerodynamics, tires, um, tire pressures, things like that, and things that I was really familiar with. So I just said, like, you know what? They got the engine and clutches. Let me work on this stuff and come in and make some influences. So uh, basically, uh, in 2018, we had we had a couple of good tests, come up with some new theories, some new new ideas, brought in a bunch of engineering support, gave them some tools to help predict what they should run, and uh, basically, um, man, we, we went to Indianapolis uh, with J.R. Todd's team and, and hit up on a couple things with some clutch discs and some headers, and we won a championship in 2018, and for me to to go from NASCAR to winning a championship in drag racing was really, really cool, and we actually won last year with Ron Caps, which is a great dude, uh, so to have a couple championships, but... But, man, I'll tell you, in drag racing, it is so crazy that so much can go wrong in so fast a time. Oh, goodness. You know, in, in four seconds or three and a half seconds, I mean, so much goes wrong. And uh, just this past weekend, we were racing uh, in Chicago. Ron <clears throat> Caps was ahead in the final, and the right parachute just opened up out of the blue. Just had a malfunction, you know, and lost the race. But there's always something that goes wrong, and you got to go find what, what happens, so yeah. what goes wrong. But uh, drag racing is a lot of fun. It really gave me a different It made me a different person because I get to go to different tracks, meet all kinds of different people. I mean, hell, John Force knew who I was, right? Who the hell knew? I mean, (laughs) John, John, hey, engineering guy, come over here and let's talk. You know, but just all the bright minds that are in that garage because they don't have computer simulations, Mm -hmm. they don't have engineers, you know, telling them what to do. I mean, these guys work their ass off to figure out what to do to to put eleven thousand horsepower to the ground. You know, and. It's a, it's a really, really neat sport. I see it growing. I do wish that there would be some overlay where, like here at Charlotte, right, run, uh, run the 600 on Sunday but have a NAS- uh, NHRA event on Saturday or, you know, other places, The whether we could do that, Atlanta. There's plenty of places that we could do it. But I think to get the fans. Bristol too, yeah, that. I mean there's this you've been in the paddock before. I mean the fans are right there, literally two feet behind the cars. Yeah. Uh, and the fan experience is huge for them. Much different than what it is now in NASCAR. It used to be a lot different in NASCAR, but it's definitely changed. But uh and it's cool. Tony Stewart's there. He's he's having a good time. I talk to him all the time and uh,
0: um, He's heavily involved he, now.
2: He's learning a lot fast, much like you know, much like me is absorbing so much. But that damn Tony Stewart, I'll tell you a story about him. We were tested in 2005 at Kansas at a Goodyear tire test, and I'm sure you've seen Tony run around with a torch, a tire torch that he used to scrape the tires yeah. and brake cleaner. He would burn people up. You ever see that? No. That's some b- did it. I'm surprised you never done that. But he would run around, like if you'd be leaning against a wall, he would walk up behind you with a torch, a can of brake cleaner, and he would spray it, light it up, and it would throw a flame at you. And he would light you on fire. That was his big thing. Seems dangerous. Did it for years. Like, <laughs> surprised you never heard that. I mean, Tony would light people up yeah. at least three guys a weekend okay. in a garage area. So I'm at Kansas. We're at a tire test, and I'm leaning against the wall watching the racetrack, timing cars. And all of a sudden, I smell hair. <laughs> well, that's somebody's coming around the corner. He lit me on fire with a torch. So I chased him. He ran like a little girl. I couldn't catch him. And I said, "I'm going to get you." So um, I went over to my truck driver. I said, "Hey, man. I said, I need a flare." A flare? What the hell do you need a flare for? I said, I need a flare and a piece of pipe. I need it now. So we went over there, and we cobbled something up, and I got me a trucker flare. <clears throat> Waited about an hour, and I noticed Stuart, he was getting in this car to go make another run. This is when he drove a JGR, Zippy was his crew chief. So Tony has got in this car, and the guy just put the window net up, and I come around the corner. He was just getting ready to fire it up, and I light this flare off. And I grabbed the latch on the window net with my hand, and I put this flare inside the car, and it's smoking him out, man. He is screaming like a girl, let me out, let me out, let me out. I held him in there for probably about a minute and a half. It was bad. It melted the windshield out of it. It melted the dash, all the seat belts, the seat, burned his fire suit up could have yeah i mean i got him back i was one of the only people that really effed him back up but uh to what end but but (laughs) but zippy and them were high five me because they're like man no one ever messes with tony right you're like (laughs) you're the only guy to get it but i was that's just me i don't take no you know and i just uh but yeah that's a weird story but ask other people about that ask tony because he is famous for burning people up i'd never heard of that oh that's crazy yeah that's crazy yeah
1: Hey, but before we let you go, i got to ask you a
2: quick question. Because, yep.
1: you know, like hearing your career arc has been fascinating. Yep. Um, I don't want to call you the modern-day suitcase Jake. Uh, I would say, though, that you do yep. get around, you yep. know. But here's my question to you. Is it possible that every crew chief on Pitt Road right now has said to themselves uh, and looked at their team and said to themselves, you know, I wonder which one of you guys is going to end up taking my job? For sure, because you listen, you said it from the time at Hendrick you know, you and D Hart, and who's mm-hmm. going to replace. Sometimes you benefited from it, yep. even up to RCR, Gil Martin. Yep. You know, you, these are people internally, Deller Hearn Incorporated. We've yep. well documented you do everything you can to build to get the best people that can work on cars and make you go fast, but it's almost like you're also hiring your replacement. When it goes south. Is that, yeah. is that true? Is that a
2: pervasive thought that's in every crew chief's mind? 100%. It has to be. If not, then you're not thinking very well. You know? but, but for me, when I left RCR, I, I knew my time was up as a crew chief. Like, I knew then I didn't want to go be a crew chief again because the sport was being engineer-driven, right? Um, I was pushed out. Tony Gibson was pushed out. People that are school of Pat Trice school of hard knock guys that work on their cars, understand their cars, they're, they're getting pushed out because here's this computer, And it's telling you what to run for shocks and springs. Here's the AI on the board that's telling you when to pit to get two tires or four tires, right? And here's the shop that's building your race car that you used to be so passionate with and in love with. As you know, everybody had their favorite cars, right? And then now, here's your race car that that the shop prepared. You didn't get to choose which race car you wanted. Here's the engineer saying, here's your shocks and springs. And here's the AI saying you pit on lap sixty four when the caution comes out and get two tires, four tires. So I knew my my time as a kid with a high school education was was getting pushed out the door. So um and, and of course, like you said, you know, when when I replaced Mark Reno, you know, I was like, What the hell's why why? You know, and Gil Martin, why? What the hell did he do wrong, you know, and Steve Meal, others, you know, and but you just know that someone is always out there trying to get your job you know it's and a target you keep yeah, talking about yep, a target yep. um it's a target yep. from the fans target
1: from right. your own yep. you know internal yep. team yeah
2: yep. right? trust me i love the sport man but i've been in NASCAR now for 37 years mike and i love this sport and i, and I don't want to do nothing else i really really love it but sometimes I hate some of the shit that goes on behind the scenes, you sure. know, the sponsorship and making these tough decisions. And that's why I think I worked for Robert so many times was simply because he was forced to make a decision and he put me back in that role when he could. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so competitive now. You know, you look at people on pit road, people getting changed out all the time because every part of NASCAR in the Cup Series is so competitive. And man, you're only as good as your last race. Well, who's the crew chief that impresses you these days? In the Cup Series? Mm-hmm. Um, i think cliff daniels Mm. uh he's really methodical he's he's like that robot right that that can okay you give me that's the car you gave me okay i'll do it here's the engineers doing this and here's the ai he puts everything together and he's mild mannered he never gets excited he keeps the driver plugged in where i think a lot of it in the old school like we used to yell at our drivers uh be confrontational to try to fire them up yeah and now it's the opposite right and um it's just a whole different approach. The world's changed. You know, the sport, when this Gen 7 car came along, it, you had to really forget about everything you knew and start over. So that's why these new engineers coming in have a fresh mindset, and they can start with a clean slate. But, man, I remember Kyle Bush when he first drove the Gen 7 car at Charlotte, he went out and made three laps. And he said, man, drop a track bar three rounds. I'm too loose. <laughs> and the coach, you said it doesn't have a track record. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But that's just the yeah, mindset sure. of that car is completely changed. But the sports changed, and the whole model of how we do things are going to change in the Cup Series uh, because we got too big. We had too much money, had too much people, and we just, you know, we were a creature of habit. We just did everything we wanted to and didn't care anything about it. So, um, again, like I said, 37 years in this sport. I don't want to do anything else. I love it. I listened, the only podcast I listened was Fatback. And, and he's spot on, you know I mean? He wants to get back into sport because he loves it. I mean, he was selling, selling tires, dealing with the public and sometimes dealing with the public isn't what you want to do. And he wants to get back in that sports and he is, he's at Venturini's right now. He's a shop foreman at Venturini, So he's back in the sport. So, so yeah. That's and, awesome. and Venturini's is Toyota related. So we get to spend time together, but, oh, neat. but man, Fatback is passionate about the sport like me. I mean, he never settled for second. I mean, he always wanted the best and. So did I. I pushed my people to be the best, and sometimes I ruffled some feathers, and um, other times it's just the way it goes. But man, I've had crew chiefs now that used to work for me that I told them when they became an engineer, from an engineer to a crew chief, watch out for that target. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of people that text me about the target. You know, seems so simple, but wearing that target on your back, man, there is no pressure that I know of in the world more than wearing that target. It's tough. Yeah.
0: I'm telling you, yeah, it's the way it goes. Well, man, been a great conversation. I know it. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for coming today. Still can't believe you f-ed up my toolbox. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it finally got that yeah, of my chest. That is so worth coming here today. <laughs> 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 oh, well, I, um, you know, I've known you a really, really long yeah. time. From the day I met you till till today, you've been nothing but nice to me. Every time I see you, always pleasant, and uh, I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I, there's certain people that are pleasant when they need to be or have to be, yeah. and uh, but you're just you're you're that way because you're a good guy and good character. Um, I've enjoyed uh, knowing you all these years. Awesome to have you here today with us to be able to talk a little bit more and get to know you even better. Yes, sir. Um, so thanks for coming to see us.
2: Yeah, thanks thanks for having me, and it means a lot to to get out here and just talk about old times yeah. because man, that's what we have is is memories. But uh, man, I, I I still wish I was your crew chief. I wonder what we would have been able to do. Yep. Yeah, I just think back a little. You know, people talk about, you know, if Dale Sr. was here, what would it be like, right? You asked that question. And I just wondered like if you and I ever hooked up. Yeah. I just mm. man, shoulda, coulda, woulda never happened, but I'm disappointed never did, but I'm I'm glad that we're friends.
0: Yeah. Well I ain't done driving yet. That's <laughs> right. I was <laughs> just, just maybe gonna say a race or two. <laughs> let, let, let your T R D stuff yeah. and your
1: drag racing stuff play out. He's back on the cars tour. He got me a late model here and there. You know, y'all
2: can go win a race. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Hey, look. I love your show. I love what you do on NBC. You bring so much to the broadcast and you know w- for race fans to sit home and and watch and and have you un- explain how it all works, man. I've had a lot of people from drag racing that tell me they learn a lot from watching you. Oh, damn. So it's uh you're a big influence to the sport and keep doing what you're doing, bud.
0: Well, thank you, bud. Yep. I appreciate it. It's nice to know we have some um allies in our in the NHRA world. I've always enjoyed the moments that I've been over there to to visit them and now I know somebody in the garage to actually get me a pass. So
2: Let's go out in the shop. I want to see what's going I'll on come, here at Junior Motorsports. I'll come take you for a lap. <laughs> <laughs> I hey, see a car in the push-up Where's yeah. air horn? Yeah. <laughs> Arr, he's
0: coming in. <laughs> Good <laughs> stuff, man. Cover him up, boys. Cover him up. Boy. <laughs> cover him up. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Man. Slugger Lavie on yeah. the Dale Junior Download. Man, I'm really excited to have Ally help us bring the guest segment every week. It's one of my favorite parts of the download. We get to talk to so many different people in racing, outside of racing. But everybody that comes in here, I want them to have had a good time. I want them to want to come back. I want them to feel like an ally to Dirty Mo Media. Thank you, Ally, for your continued support of the download and the entire Dirty Mo Media team. Check out Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.